Live from the Midwest, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, bonus episode 5. Hello, kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I'm Nathan Marchand, the host of this podcast, and joining me today for this very special episode is not only a patron to the show, not only a past guest on this show, but the author and creator of the Godzilla Novelization Project himself, me! Daniel Demana, the one, the only. <laughs> well, I can't really say welcome back now, can I? Because in case you haven't figured it out yet, listeners, and this may be a little strange for you, but I am actually doing this episode OOC, as we like to say in the role-playing world, <laughs> out of character. It just seemed the most appropriate thing to do right now. So this is actually the real Nathan and not the fictionalized version that has been entering your eardrums for the last year. <laughs> so so just to get it straight, you're not Nate right now. You're Nate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that now makes sense. Now we're going down the rabbit hole. Yes. <laughs> Yes, because it totally makes sense. And by the way, yeah, and I'm not, I was serious when I, I wrote a, a blog post on the Patreon about this where I just said, writing myself as a character has been one of the weirdest experiences for me as a writer. <laughs> and I never intended it to be like this. Because <laughs> yeah, the Nathan on the show was just supposed to be a persona, but he has quickly grown into a character in more ways than one. <laughs> This is definitely true as someone who's been on the show and listens quite frequently. Yes. The difference is, an, an, I think, an enthusiasm and personality boost of maybe 11. Yes. Or 12. <laughs> also, yeah, he's in like some that. very strange circumstances and has had some very weird experiences. It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's all the magic of radio. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's strange little cousin we call podcasting. <laughs> That's right. But we're doing this episode and I am having you on for one very special reason, Danny. Today, we are celebrating our first anniversary! And somewhere out in the world, Ben Chaffins is jumping up and down. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he like me loves Mega Man X and I couldn't resist. <laughs> now, a little Mega Man never hurt anyone. Of course not. <laughs> but yes, it's been a year. It is weird to think about. As we were recording this, it's about three days away from the actual anniversary, and this episode will be dropping for most listeners five days after the actual anniversary. The actual first anniversary is September 25th, and this episode will drop on the 30th. But it is still weird for me to think that I've been at this podcast game again, I should say, for a year. <laughs> You're growing up so fast. You were no taller than up to my knee last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah, says the my guy. Goodness. Says the guy who's never done his own podcast. <laughs> First of all, rude. <laughs> and second of all, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll just start a podcast, Nate. Oh, you know, oh. 
competition. Yeah, maybe oh. I'll maybe I'll just start a podcast. You know. Oh, maybe I. See, I I have to I have to bring the sass because Jimmy's not here. So <laughs> there's no Jimmy. Yeah, this is kind of a weird episode because Jimmy. Um, oh, it's it's really weird because we're out of character right now, right? So you're out of character. It's very weird to think about it because Jimmy really does feel he's become his own entity at this point, and the fact that I have not been interrupted by his sassiness yet <laughs> is a little. It's a little more like. It's, it's a little weird. I'm, I know. I'm not going to lie. It's a little, I, keep, I keep waiting for to pop in and say something. But, I know. Uh, I haven't I know. heard any about yet. I know. I, at this point, I'm just waiting to see if I ever get a cease and desist from either Lucasfilm or Toho. But <laughs> You won't be getting a cease and desist from Lucasfilm. You'll be getting it from Disney. And that is, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that's a little scarier. Yeah. To get. Like anything in your mailbox that has mouse ears on it should scare you. Yes. Uh, just saying. Hopefully that doesn't happen, though. Although uh, we were uh, bantering back and forth a little bit over text messaging about how, you know, what would happen if the big wigs over at Toho had found out that Jimmy from NASA is on my podcast. And <laughs> I think your response was something like, they would be like, what? Jimmy? What? What? What Jimmy? And they're like, oh, that movie <laughs> we did yeah, make that I don't, <laughs> and then i and then my thought was their next thought would be oh we own that uh season this is <laughs> start mailing things start calling lawyers and shut this man down <laughs> shut him down jimmy uh j- j- hashtag jimmy from nasa does not live anymore uh, <laughs> jimmy from or, nasa or, is dead <laughs> Jimmy from NASA is or, or no, actually not that he's dead. It would be more like hashtag Jimmy from NASA is repossessed. <laughs> yeah. Or the, the hashtag, the real owners of Jimmy from NASA found out and now I'm in trouble. Please help. <laughs> or something. Like that. Yeah. Something like Maybe that. It's for the best that old, old Jimbo isn't here tonight. Maybe that's for the best. I don't know. <laughs> possibly, possibly. But all of that to say, now that we got that out of our system, As I have mentioned a few times on the show in the lead up to this there, I because I was trying to figure out what could I do for the first anniversary. And then the thought that came to me, which is why you are here on the show is I thought, let's do our Kaiju Conline presentation again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, sir. (laughs) Our first attempt at doing this presentation was a comedy of errors that was Shakespearean in proportions, let me tell you. (laughs) It was more of a Shakespearean tragedy than anything else. It was indeed a comedy of errors, and I will not lie, on occasion, a comedy of terrors. Um, (laughs) I think we handled it pretty darn well, considering what happened, but for anyone out there that doesn't know the backstory, the brief version is that we got the chance to do this great panel for KaijuCon Line. Well, it was originally going to be G-Fest. G-Fest got canceled. And then 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 Kyle Yount of kaiju cast fame and now collect all monsters said he was going to put together mm-hmm. an online alternative to g fest and had it the same weekend which he knocked out of the yes park. he did let that, me say on that 
event was unreal. It was exactly what I needed and what other Kaiju fans needed that weekend because we were all pretty darned depressed, I would say. Oh, yes. And he <laughs> definitely flew in and um, and really got a great team of people together and pulled off a miracle. There were a couple of technical hiccups, and I think the technicalist, hiccupiest technical hiccup was us. <laughs> Although there was there was one guy who had a presentation a few hours after we did, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, dude, what is going on with your presentation? Unfortunately, yeah, I remember that was the Harryhausen panel, and I felt so bad for Kevin. He's an awesome dude, and the audio just wasn't working, and I felt so bad for him because he's a great dude, and I and Harryhausen's great anyway, but. That was one of several technical hiccups. I'm very proud of the fact that I think we had what might be the cringiest one. Oh, uh, yeah, it was difficult. <laughs> um, it was, and I think some of it may have been on me because what ended up happening was the system that we were using to live stream the whole thing provided by Kyle. I th if I remember correctly, I could hear you or, mm, or you could. Or you was it the other way around? Me. I because I couldn't. You couldn't I could hear, hear me, everyone. but I could hear you. Yeah. I think. No, oh, it no, was, it's the, no, other it was the other way around. Yeah, I could hear everybody. Kyle could hear everybody. You could hear Kyle, but I couldn't hear you. You couldn't hear me. So, so Kyle ended up, ended up was, jumping yeah. in and <laughs> being our go-between. So <laughs> it was amazingly ridiculous, and he, he was such a good sport. That dude. I'm going to have to buy him a drink at next year's G-Fest, I yeah, swear. Yeah, and I've been saying that I'm going to get him the, because I, I know how much of a collector he is, I said, the, because people were calling him Father of Ultra in the chat, <laughs> in the live chat for the presentation. <laughs> so right. I'm going to buy him the Father of Ultra Funko Pop. I'll probably buy one for myself, too, but I'll get him one, and I'm going to give him just like, you are the Father of Ultra. <laughs> now, he saved our derrieres, that's for sure. Um, yeah. He, he did. He was our go-between. It was like the weirdest game of kaiju telephone ever. Yes. Um, and it's, it's a little unfortunate because we ended up having to start late. I would talk, and then I would say, hey, Kyle, tell Nate to talk. Kyle would say, Hey, Nate, talk. And yeah. then Nate would talk. And when he finished, I would talk. And we did that for about 40, 45 minutes or so. Looked at some comments, but we had to skip over a lot of stuff. It was a very, we got the information out. And a lot of people after, everyone in the comments, I read the comments on the, the stream on YouTube later, and everyone was really, really awesome about it and supportive and having a good laugh. And yes. um, we, I was having fun with it, even though it was a mess. I'll be perfectly yeah, honest. I, mean, little, I will tell you, after spending a lot of 2020 dealing with the less pleasant side of the fandom seeing everyone be so supportive and pleasant in that chat was such a breath of fresh air and i loved every second of it that whole weekend there was no belligerence or trolling or anything for what i was seeing in the chats for all of the no, online was, presentations it was so good i was like why can't this fandom be like this time. every day <laughs> well, that's that's just the nature of fandoms, you know. There's there's always going to be the the ne'er do wells, but when you get people together for an event, the stuff that separates fans, I think, really melts away. And it really did feel like G Fest uh, a lot because you go to G Fest and everyone just wants to talk to you, have fun, and that's what this felt like. And the comment section was some good natured ribbing at our expense, uh, yeah. but nothing mean. And a lot of people saying, no, we can hear you. Uh, a lot of people, and a couple people messaged me afterwards on Twitter and at the uh, Godzilla Novelization Project email account and said, I just saw your panel. 
you guys did really good. I liked what you had to say. So we got what we wanted done to a degree, but Nate and I think we can do better now. Yeah, especially when I think back on our first panel together last year at G-Fest and just how well we worked together. That's You can watch the video of this on the podcast YouTube channel. And I highly recommend you do it. We had such a great rapport and we worked so well mm-hmm. together. I, it's to the point now where you and I are, are just thinking we need to do this every year <laughs> at G-Fest now. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we've already got ideas for, for the next couple of years. And that's what this panel was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a room full of excited G-Fans and a PowerPoint and, a, you know, and us talking back and forth. But the, unfortunately, Nate and I didn't get to talk to each other about certain things. Unfortunately, due to the time constraints and a, a little bit of miscommunication, some of the slides got skipped over, yes. um, which ended up giving us a little bit of extra time at the end that we had to fill with other things. But it was a delightful, hot mess. So what we've decided to do to and celebrate just, one. I'll, I'll, uh, just yeah. to let everybody know, I'll be fair. I'll put a link <laughs> to the yeah, hot mess in the show notes every, for this. Everyone should see it. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, look at, like, it's so funny watching, watch my face as everything starts going on. And then during the panel, watch Nate's face. <laughs> and then we'll look at Kyle just sitting there shaking his head. It was, it was priceless. He was yeah. such a trooper. He was. Yeah, sport, he but, was. And uh, I do think that was probably on me. I think it was something on my end that I screwed up because everything was fine the night before because I jumped into the the Kaiju Cast panel when they were just having people yeah. kind of pipe in, volunteers from the, it, it from the chat pipe fine. in. And then I did that. It was fine. Yeah. But yeah, who knows, man? It's, it's, it is what it is. It's, we survived it, but we thought that to celebrate a whole year of podcasting excellence, we would dust off the PowerPoint, our knowledge on the subject, and maybe try and talk about it again. Um, yes. And for people who might not remember, our topic was the original MCU, which is an exploration of the Showa era timeline. Yeah. Everyone talks about how interconnected the Heisei series is. The Showa films were also interconnected. It was looser, but they were interconnected. And we decided to sit down and see how can we connect all of this? Because it's not just the Godzilla films. A huge chunk of Toho's kaiju output is technically in the same universe, which is where we got the title, the original MCU, because it really is like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, except with Toho kaiju. And you'll see what we mean here, because there's a strange amount of parallels between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we do have to set some ground rules for this because you and I spent a lot of time talking about this. So let's go through some of our rules here. I'll do the first one and then we'll take turns. We were going to stick to film accuracy. So the films dictate the ground rules of the continuity and it's our job to play by those rules. So any theories or extrapolations on our part have to be noted as such. In other words, any theories that we had to come up with to fill in gaps have to stem from things that are actually in the films. No no fan fiction territory here. Yeah, and if anything like that comes about, any kind of extrapolations, we shall let you know. The other big one that we discussed was where to place some of these films, and it's a a discussion that I dubbed production year versus chronological year. Uh, And ultimately what we came up with was just unless stated in each respective film, we're assuming that 
the events of that film took place in the year that the film was produced. Now, there are obviously exceptions to those rules. There are dates given in some of the films that are not their production years. And so obviously it's in the film. That's the date we would go with and work it into the timeline accordingly. Yeah. But uh, let's for... say Mothra versus Godzilla, for example, nowhere in the film does it specifically say that it takes place in 1964, but it doesn't say that it doesn't. So yeah. <laughs> our general assumption is to place it in that year, 1964, yeah. the year of its production. Mm -hmm. And I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but one of the reasons that we went with this topic is because I wanted to give you an opportunity to work on something that you could use for the GNP. And one of, weirdly enough, one of the most popular features on your website has been the timelines that you have been compiling for each of the respective Godzilla universes. So this gave you an excuse to put a bunch of stuff together for this presentation and then use it on your website. Yeah, and it, it ended up working out really well. A lot of the material that we're going to go over here is based on research that I've done over the years, and a lot of it was um, compiled, but plenty of it was kind of still in my head. So it was really nice to get it down onto paper. This PowerPoint and in our initial presentation of it coincided with me publishing the first part of the timeline, the Showa-era timeline, to the Novelization Project website. And that page got, within a couple of days, hundreds of hits on it. Hundreds. It absolutely blew my mind. Um, that oh, it's people all were of those people. It's all the people it. who watched us do the presentation, and then they probably they yeah. probably started sharing it with all their friends. You know, but yeah, yeah, it was it just kind of it compounded on it. So if you're one of the people that checked it out, thank you. Like it's, <laughs> it was really really cool. So yeah, this is this is kind of an extension of that whole project. All so right. this is and this is definitely pared down. So yeah, what's the next one, Nate? Uh, realistic expectations, which is kind of oxymoronic when we're talking about the Showa series, but <laughs> though there are continuity errors everywhere in this universe. I'm going to tell you right now, speaking as a writer, when you're doing a large universe like this, it's just bound to happen unless you have a photographic memory and remember everything. <laughs> Toho didn't create this continuity as a grand Marvel-style plan. It evolved organically over time, film by film. Accepting that cracks in the continuity exist is by no means a slight against the era's films or the people who made them. Because that is the big difference here. Marvel had this grand plan. They had 10 years mapped out <laughs> for their cinematic universe. Like, we're going to go Iron Man, and then we're going to get to Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. They had a whole thing set up for that. That wasn't true here Bingo. with Toho. It was very organic, which, as much as people want to rag on, say, DC Comics for not really having a plan, or like the new Star Wars trilogy for not really having a plan, I'm going to tell you right now, speaking as a writer in the writing world, that happens a lot. We call it pantsing, <laughs> flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> so right. it's a way to do things. And there are very famous authors who have made whole careers of doing that. I'm looking at you, Stephen King. So <laughs> I was about to mention Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. What's that next? All one? right. Our, our next criteria point is one of my personal favorites, accepting the impossible. No, we now, go from realistic expectations to accepting the impossible. I love it. <laughs> now you have to, yeah. The expectations are continuity-wise and how things meet together. But when you get into the films themselves, there's obviously a lot of things that you have to accept. And this is par for the course for being a Godzilla fan. If you watch, especially the original movies, as a series of films, I think it's rather fun to do because they are connected. You have to take into account things like the following. Cities are rebuilt very, very quickly in the Godzilla universe. There are a lot of aliens that invade. 
some of the monsters have the same roars. <laughs> you know, some of the monsters are made out of older monsters. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it, it, that is all part of the fun, and it's why we love these movies. And uh, this is one of those you know parts of the criteria that's like a no duh right like of yeah. course this stuff is in there but yeah. i i felt i should include it anyway yeah. why not well, and the last actually one, one of no one of the funniest ones you didn't bring this up in the presentation but i think it's worth noting because this is in your notes one of the other impossible things you have to accept is that there are a lot of people who are unrelated to each other who look exactly the same <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> because all of the because the, the toho staple of actors kept getting reused and you had this kind of funny way where you just decided that there were a lot of Japanese babies born on the same day who look the same. <laughs> it's like a weird cosmic coincidence that by 1964, there were at least four or five different people that looked exactly like Akira Takarada. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. And it only becomes a thing when you look at the movies as one big continuous story, because in most other series, like, Obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about the MCU here. It's not like Chris Hemsworth played eight different characters. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we're talking, you know, that, that would be silly. But these movies were, you know, Toho had a repertory group of actors that were phenomenal and they were familiar faces. And I think that's a huge part of the appeal of the film, too. You watch one of them and you say, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. So accepting that one put them all into one big world, there are going to be like 12 Kenji Saharas, three or four <laughs> Kumi Mizuno's. Seven or eight Takashi Shimura's. It's all part of the fun. fun. Which is our last criteria point here, which is have fun. This is a comic book universe with everything in it. <laughs> Magic, science, monsters, aliens, undersea kingdoms. It's got everything. <laughs> you shouldn't take it too seriously. <laughs> I think there might even be a kitchen sink in there somewhere. Yeah, probably. Honestly. There's there's a kitchen sink kaiju out there someplace, I'm sure. It's probably you probably oh, tried to sure. murder the Power Rangers or something. <laughs> oh, it definitely sounds like a Power Rangers thing. <laughs> now, the first part of our timeline here is actually a slide that we unfortunately ended up skipping yes. due to a slight Yes. So yeah, this is one, one of those George Lucas style expansions. From the video. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is um This is you know, this right. is the this George is, uh, Lucas is, special edition, you know. <laughs> this is the Demano Marchand special edition. This is basically the equivalent of adding back in the Java scene. <laughs> Hashtag so release our, the Demano Marchand cut. <laughs> you know what? My name is in the hashtag and I'd still pay to see it. I don't know. <laughs> hey, we're doing it right now. <laughs> so yeah so the slide that we ended up skipping over is a very very truncated version of what is essentially part one of the timeline that i wrote for the website which is prehistory and ancient times before godzilla this is all the stuff that really shows how insane i am because my timeline <laughs> literally goes all the way back to the dinosaurs i'm not just starting at godzilla 54 and moving my way up i'm making a very very complete timeline here and so i thought just for fun i'd throw in me you know a few four total kind of big things that happened between the extinction of the dinosaurs and the original Godzilla movie. And the first one of those is, in fact, the extinction of the dinosaurs. But remember, we're talking about the Godzilla universe here. So there are a couple of slight differences between the real event and the event that would have had to have happened in the Showa universe, because 65 million years ago, uh, the KT event occurred and in real life wiped out pretty much everything on planet Earth that was bigger than a cat. <laughs> and lived above it lived above water i mean it wiped out something like 65 70 percent of all life on planet earth it was a devastating event but in the world of the show averse you know you have to accept that things went a little bit differently 
in isolated places spread across the planet, we have to assume that small breeding populations of several large reptilian species, pterosaurs, Ankylosaurus, because we have to have Anguirus one day, Pterodactyl or Pteranodon, because we have to have Rodan one day. And then and eventually the robot version for you. <laughs> for me to fly in on. Yeah, I still get people asking me about that. I just made that story up on the spot. <laughs> that Pteranodon robot story seems to have gotten around. And I think that's so cool. I kind of love it. That's great. <laughs> I'm waiting for the t-shirt. <laughs> that should know. be a t-shirt. I'll add that to my list, it which should. is something that we'll talk about at, uh, after we're done here. But anyway. Yes, it's like teas. Uh, but the last part of that first one is obviously there have to be several theropods that live too, because Godzilla is, you know, a theropod creature. You know, he had to have come from back then. You know, this is not the continuity where the Godzilla source is a thing. But, you know, if you want to think that that was how it happened, that's an acceptable theory for that. But something that became Godzilla or was Godzilla had to have lived. We also have to have Gorosaurus live through this period. We also have to have Baragon, maybe Varan, maybe in Titanosaurus, creatures like that. They have to live through the asteroid striking. They have to live through the KT event, if they, or maybe their ancestors did. Maybe it was breeding populations. Maybe they're all really that old. Who knows? But something had to have lived through that extinction event in order for them to get here. What happened between a million years ago and 10,000 years ago, Nate? Advanced human civilizations develop on isolated continents, several of them, in fact. They meet an untimely demise at the hands of a cataclysm that sinks them into the sea. Again, this happened a lot. The people and yep. much of their infrastructure survive the catastrophe and rebuild their empires. And later on, and we'll, come yeah. back to plague the surface world. <laughs> yeah, and we will discuss the potential relationships or lack thereof between the sunken civilizations of ancient Earth a little bit later. Yeah. Um, between 3,000 and 2,000 years ago, this is one of my personal favorites because I think it has ramifications beyond the obvious, and I'll explain that here in a bit. And this is one of the things I was really sad to lose from our stream, but two to 3,000 years ago, Venus was destroyed in this timeline. Oh, not completely blown up, of course, but... No, that's the end of War in Space rapid. that has been effectively retconned that, that on my movie. podcast, so... <laughs> That one, that one movie that seems to have made a massive impact on the show, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a couple thousand years ago, Venus was besieged by King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah came, and according to Princess Salno's testimony, when she's put under at the Institute in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, one day, and Ghidorah wipes out the civilization of uh, advanced humanoids that live there, forcing their population to flee the world. And emigrate to Earth, wherein they begin interbreeding with the native hominid population. And that creates human beings in modern times with latent psychic abilities and the ability to tell the future. Obviously, the big one that everyone knows is Princess Salno. But, and this is something that I tend to explore a little bit in my own timeline and in the novelization project itself. I am of the opinion that Ken from Godzilla versus Hedera and Princess Nami from uh, yes. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 74. They have the Venusian future sight power because they have descendants that are Venusian. It explains their weird psychic abilities in those films. Yeah, that's headcanon. Yeah, it is headcanon. Although, I don't know, maybe the UFO club president got a little bit of it too, and maybe that's why he's a little goofy. <laughs> I don't think the Earth will Love, but, oh, but, uh, but this is a good point to mention something because we're going off of the original Japanese versions of the films 
in the dubbed version, yeah. this was Mars, which some fans may take this as blasphemous, so to speak, but I actually like the Mars angle a bit better than Venus. It makes more sense to me, especially since Mars has been explored as a planet that possibly supported life, and it is so wrapped up in the culture of you know there being a civilization there. Thank you, H.G. Wells. You know, things like that. But we're going off of the Japanese versions, so... Don't hate me. <laughs> Venus, it, Venus, it is. Yeah. And then the last one is brings us almost right up to the present day. What happens there, Nate? Yeah, 5,000 years ago to 1900, a series of small cultures begin to spring up across the South Pacific, Philippine and Polynesian islands that center around the worship of giant monsters, including Odo, Pharaoh, Infant, Mondo, Selgio. Is that how you say that? Selgio? Selgio? Selgio Island. Selgio. Yeah. And Okinawa. Yeah. Which, if you know where all of those are from, that will give you a clue as to what movies we are including in this timeline. Yes, yes. Speaking because, of which, uh, let's get to that timeline. Let's do it. Let's jump ahead to 1945, because I'd argue that the first big modern thing to happen in the Godzilla universe is the very tragically real-world atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. These were obviously real things that happened. Real lives were lost, and it really did, you know, it, it was, it had it, repercussions in both this universe and obviously in real life. And one of those is one that I think deserves a place in this universe for how significant it yeah, is. And that, th that's really yeah. interesting because you and I had a little bit of a discussion about this because we were trying we to did, figure yeah. out if we should include this or if we should consider the opening scene of Godzilla 1954 to be this universe's version of this. And after a little bit of discussion, we decided they would be two separate events. Yeah, because for me, the idea of dropping this moment, which is the Castle Bravo H-bomb test and the Lucky Dragon number five, tragedy which happened in 1954 and inspired the making of the god the you know the movie godzilla it was the you know it was one of the things that led to that film being the way it is i feel like having it still happen in that universe makes 1954 an even worse crippling bad year for that because imagine if we were in the show and this horrible tragedy happens with the daigo fukuri umaru and then you have tuna that you can't eat and then all these protests happen the press in Japan dubbed the incident the third atomic bombing of mankind. So it was mankind, but specifically Japan, and Godzilla coming in August of that year because canonically the story of Godzilla, the movie comes out in November, but it takes place in August and into, I believe, into September a little bit. Just imagine if that also happened. That would have been the fourth tragic atomic related incident in Japanese history in nine years. And I think that that really makes the tragedy even more visceral. So it, it's arguable whether or not it's part of the universe of the Showa era, but I thought including it would be appropriate. Which then takes us to what we're calling the age of monsters. So kind of to think of it like this with the, to draw some parallels with the MCU. We find out that there were things that happened in, you know, say in World War II and things like that in the 60s and the 80s in the MCU as the movies have progressed. But the actual, we'll call it Age of Heroes, starts with Iron Man in 2008. So we're taking a similar approach here. So 1954, the appearance of Godzilla, that is the beginning of the Age of Monsters. That is the moment when everything changed. 
So up until this point, other than, you know, some kind of, I guess you could say kind of cryptic ancient history things, this is the moment really where the show averse veers off from reality. Yeah, I think that's a very fair way to say that. And um, one other thing is that for anyone out there that's dreading us getting into details on all the movies, don't worry. Uh, we, we assume that people listening to this show have seen the original Godzilla movie at least yeah, one time. We're, we're not going to go into copious thousand. details about all the events because yeah. otherwise I'd have to start we another. Will be here. I'd have to start another podcast. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to get into those details in a slightly short version in the timeline, the full timeline that's being published online. Just for the sake of this discussion, we're going to say in 1954, the events of Godzilla take place and you all know what happens there. Yeah. Although the next item on our timeline is for a much more obscure movie and one that's a lot harder to see, which is Half Human, which was interesting. We had talked about, I was like, hey, do we want to include Half Human or not? And we decided it's small enough that it's inconsequential to include it. Uh, yeah, but if you want to really if you want to know him. more about Half Human, I highly recommend listening to MIFV episode seven. And then the same year, we have Godzilla Raids again. Bingo! And the key things to take away from Godzilla Raids again are obviously a we have another Godzilla now. This is Godzilla 2.0. The first one is dead. This is the second one. There's no oxygen destroyer left, so we're stuck with this one. And Gears appears. They have their fight. Godzilla ends up frozen. Y'all have seen the movie. You know, it, it's pretty straightforward. And from that point on, the 50s kind of explodes with monsters. In 1956, and I think the canonicity of this one in the uh, Showaverse is pretty undeniable. Oh, the original Rodan. Uh, there, yeah. there are certain ones. And the, the funny thing is, is that we didn't bring this up, but what ended up being the linchpin that forced us to have to consider and reconsider what movies get included or not is actually Destroy All Monsters. <laughs> But yeah, we'll get to that. that we'll is, get to know, that. We will get to that. But yeah, the rest of the 50s are actually pretty straightforward. 1956 is obviously Rodan. The events of Varan take place in 1958. And then this is kind of an interesting one. Um, and this actually helps fix a yeah. potential plot hole in this movie. It really does. Frankenstein conquers the world despite being produced in 1965. And this is where our, one of our criteria points comes in handy. It does not take place in 1965. In the film... It starts out in 1945, and we see the tragic bombings of Hiroshima. We see the bombing happen. And then it jumps ahead, quote, 15 years. Which not means 20, that the rest of the movie takes, 15. Not 20. Not 20. They could have said 20, the but takes, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. They picked 1960. So the movie takes place in 1960, and that's significant for a reason that we will get to later on when we get to the 60s. But before we get to the 60s, I wanted to really quickly make note of, um, and we'll do this for every decade, the movies that we did not include in the timeline for the 1950s, because any Toho fan, Tokusatsu fan will know that there are some pretty big omissions here from the 1950s just alone. Uh, the, the Invisible Man is one that not a lot of people have seen. We didn't include it because it didn't really feel like it, it meshed completely well. I did not include the Mutant Trilogy. Now, there's an argument to be made that they could fit those three films, but the reason that I thought that they should be excluded from this timeline specifically is the way that radiation works in the H-Man, because radiation is shown to uh, have very different effects on living organisms in the H-Man than we see it have at any other point in the rest of the showiverse. Mm -hmm. So I see it as happening. I don't even think those three films are necessarily in their own little trilogy continuity. I think they're their own standalone stories. Yeah, uh, but it's they a were, trilogy they were more in the thematic sense than the continuity yeah, ex sense. Exactly. 
One movie that I think, if you really want to extrapolate, you could kind of throw in there because it's fun to think about it. In, like, I know. We, sense, we went back and forth on this. We went back and forth the on this. The Three Treasures. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the Three Treasures has one kaiju sequence in it, but we ultimately, it was, you know, it was more of a big mythic religious epic that stood on its own. And the two that are probably, at least for me, the more contentious of the two, and they were honestly dropped just for the yeah. sake of simplifying the timeline and as we were trying to prepare it for the show, was the Mysterians and Battle in Outer Space, which I think could fit relatively easily. And I'm uh, I'm probably going to try to squeeze them into my timeline that I'm working on. But just keep in mind that for the sake of artists here, we did not include yeah. them. But I think that they're like... Yeah, my argument was... Given how people responded to the Exians, Zillions, I'm never quite sure which name to use for them anymore, but the <laughs> given how the humans respond to them, it seems like this is the first time they've encountered aliens, and if we had included Mysterians and Battle in Outer Space, that would make Monster Zero the third alien invasion in a decade there, and I would think by that point they would be a little bit more used to it and they would, they would be less surprised by everything. Yeah. So the other, I mean, the other stumbling point that we came across was the fact that, um, again, battle in outer space is one of those movies that does not take place in the year it was made. It actually placed in 1965, which was the year that um, Monster Zero was produced and generally assumed to take place. That movie famously takes place according to on-screen text in quote, 1960x which means it could be really anywhere in there after 1965 but for the sake of simplicity on this timeline we decided to keep monster zero in its 65 slot and deem battle in outer space as non-canon overall but there are things that you know because it would be an exilian invasion and a natural invasion all within the same 12 months which seems like a lot and moving yeah. uh, monster zero forward in the timeline means other things needed to be arranged and j just for the sake of consistency we decided to not but i think that there's a place and a way to include them and there are hints i mean in Ghidorah the three-headed monster the crazy ufo guy definitely has a natural spaceship in his office <laughs> uh, well, which maybe is, maybe these know. movies just exist as films in the there show universe. who knows you know and that was just merchandise cool. i mean in king kong versus godzilla some of mr taco's employees were joking about how there's going to be a movie based on king kong and godzilla fighting each other i mean <laughs> yep and then we see godzilla how toys in godzilla versus hetera so <laughs> i mean who knows there are arguably could be included, but for this timeline, we're not, and we're going to jump right ahead to the 60s. On to the so 60s, we, we the swinging 60s. Well, that's not swinging 60s. Is it swinging 60s? <laughs> the, the decade nobody can remember. <laughs> the psychedelic There, that's the one I'm looking for. So we start with Mothra, the which is kind of a turning point, not only for Kaiju and Tokusatsu, but probably to an extent also a little bit of a turning point for this universe because suddenly we have a friendly kaiju. Yeah, this is where the monster isn't, I mean, she's, you know, she has a threat to her, but she's not a threatening monster. She's not evil by any stretch of the imagination. She causes destruction, but it was, you know, it could be argued that Godzilla's destruction was definitely our fault, whether directly or indirectly. This movie... Uh, uh, which is a masterpiece in every sense of the word. Nate, you, you and I both have our yes. Sekizawa romance going get on. Your we, so, on. Yeah. <laughs> get your Sekizawa on. Get your Sekizawa on. I'm still going to make se get your Sekizawa on t-shirts one day. I'm going to do it. Do one it. Of these days, do but... it now. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I'm, I'm dangerously close to being able to produce merchandise for the GNP, and I maybe I will do that one. But 
Mothra, the mightiest monster in all of creation. Big turning point because this is the moment where the monsters, you know, out of universe became more family friendly and in universe became something that people respected a little bit more, I think. There was a human element added to Mothra. She's wise. She's wiser than anyone else in the movie. You know what I mean? She's she's a character. She's not just a big thing that's a, an allegory or just a big moving monster that moves around and destroys things. She's a character. And from this point on, in the universe as well as out of it, the monsters are characters. And that continues on with mm-hmm. the next movie, which is yeah. 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla. Which, which um, and brings the Godzilla. thing that's interesting, particularly if you look at the original Japanese cuts of these movies, is... They actually do, to a certain extent, reference back to previous movies. Raids Again famously had Dr. Yamane, and they recycled footage from the first movie and said this was archival footage. This is what happened the first time that there was a Godzilla. This one, in the original Japanese, which now you can see thanks to Criterion, actually references the fact that Godzilla got sealed in an iceberg and he emerges from an iceberg at the beginning of the movie. And then we see Akihiko Harada saying, oh yeah, he got sealed in an iceberg. And now he's out. It doesn't get much cleaner than that in terms of continuity. This is definitely calling back. It makes sense. And I guess one other thing that falls into the category of weird things happen in this universe is obviously new Godzilla suits were being made for almost every film. So Godzilla changes physically. I think looking at it and trying to figure out like an in-universe reason why Godzilla looks different in each one is just missed the point of having fun with the movies. So I've never even yeah. tried to. I've, I've to heard an explanation just, yeah. for it. I think it, the, the explanation was that he's constantly mutating, so he looks different. But like, I don't care, man. It's not meant to be taken. Yeah. It's not necessarily meant to be taken literally. By the way, this we went from 1961 no. with Mothra, 1962 with King Kong versus Godzilla, which is interesting. We have the seven-year period where there is no Godzilla, and then a bunch of other monsters start popping up. So even though Godzilla's gone, everything else starts showing up. It's really interesting. Yeah. And because yeah. I know there's at least one of you out there that is going to think this and right into the podcast to pull their own little version of a Jimmy interruption about this. No, this is not the same King Kong from 1933. We'll get to that. (laughs) Anyway, 1963, we have Matango and Atragon. So we're including both of these. We went a little bit back and forth with Matango, but we decided that that story is small and isolated enough that, again, it's inconsequential to include it, and there's nothing in the movie that says it isn't in the same universe. Atragon is a little bit different because Manda. <laughs> and world invasion, surface yes. invasion. So yes. it's a bigger story. And as you say, Manda is in this film, and that has repercussions for later movies. Yes, which now brings yeah. us to one of the big things that we have to address this is the first of a couple of theories that we've come up with to glue everything together which is the undersea civilization scenario so if we accept atragon as having taken place in the same universe as the godzilla series we have to accept that there are not one but two undersea civilizations mu and Cetopia. <laughs> yeah there's, there have to be two <laughs> so how do we reconcile this, Danny? <laughs> well, Nate, there are areas. This is what I've come up with, again, because I apparently don't have anything better to do with my brain power. This is what people like me think of in the shower, right? You know, this is, <laughs> this is just, 
I just I wonder what how Moo and Cetopia related. So theory number one: Could Cetopia have splintered off from Moo? Could they be related to Moo in some way? This could be before the cataclysm or after the cataclysm. Could they be an offshoot of Moo in some way? That's one explanation. Theory number two, could Cetopia have been a colony that, um, that's kind of an extension of theory number one. Yeah. Not so much a, in theory number one, I imagine that if it was after the cataclysm, maybe a part of Moose like literally broke off during the cataclysm and what became Cetopia was culturally and physically isolated from Moo, so they developed differently. But could people from Moo have left Moo after the cataclysm and formed their own civilization? Who knows? Theory number three is kind of an interesting one. Um, could they be entirely independent civilizations that know of each other and knowing of each other mm-hmm. have been exchanging scientific knowledge with each other? Because if you think about it, their technology is rather similar and their cultures are rather similar uh, with one exception. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But think about it. They're both humanoids. They both live under the water pretty darn successfully. They have very primitive attire, but their technology is advanced. They both have artificial suns that work underwater, and both of them have big, giant monster gods that they worship. Yeah, so uh, which they, don't look anything what's alike. Always, you know? What's really fascinating about both of them is that they are a very weird yet interesting combination of highly advanced science and very primitive superstition. <laughs> it's really interesting yeah. when you stop and think it about it. It's more interesting with Moo, admittedly, because... Godzilla versus Megalon is a glorious train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I love that movie. But it, oh, I do too. But it's all ironic. <laughs> yeah. it, it, I love it completely and totally. I make no apologies. But the one thing that kind of leads me to assume that this last one might be, again, quote unquote correct. It's all headcanon. You know, there's nothing that's come Toho that necessarily even says, yes, these two are in the same mm-hmm. universe. Um, maybe a couple of older publications, but if you accept it, then you have to say, okay, they're in the same world. How does this work? Cetopia is mostly Caucasian. If you look at the very little footage that was their emperor is a white dude. Most of the the people that you see in Cetopia, with the exception of the uh, the agents that they send up to the surface of Japan, are Caucasian. The Muins from Atragon are Asian. So if one is an offshoot of the other, how exactly does that work? Could it be our more insular and not an offshoot of one or the other. Again, this is the dictionary definition of thinking way too hard about this because yes. the, the real the real world story is, you know, in 1973, Shinji Sakazawa was like, let's just do Moo again <laughs> yeah. because we're out of ideas. <laughs> we're we out have of three ideas. Weeks, we have three weeks, two bucks, and some pocket lint. Let's just do this again. Let's just do Moo again. Um, <laughs> that's what really happened. Yeah, um, yeah. This is us trying to make sense pretty- of... Very unfortunate real world events. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, but the, there is some precedent fun. in the real world for this because there are stories from different cultures about sunken civilizations, the most famously that being Atlantis, but Atlantis is just one of several. There's a scene in Godzilla versus Megalon where they talked about that, where they said there's Atlantis, and then there was, I think they actually say Moo, which lends a little bit more credence to Atragon and Godzilla versus Megalon being in the same universe. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. But again, this is all speculation. But that's the fun part, because if we take the parameters that the movie has set for us and we accept them as factual in this universe, we have to work with what they've given us. And that's 
so fun for me. So that's that's one of the reasons that when we come across things like this, like the several undersea sieve scenario, because alliteration is awesome. Yes, <laughs> uh, we will. Yeah, we will. We'll address them as they come up. Back to the timeline. Because yes, now we're we get to, to on... 1964, which was a very busy year. <laughs> yeah. In the real world, Toho released not one, not two, but three kaiju movies in 1964. We had Mothra vs. Godzilla, Dogra, which just got talked about last week on the show. Mm-hmm. And then we also had Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. But interestingly, and I didn't realize this until you pointed it out, technically Ghidorah does not take place in 1964. It takes place in 1965, uh, which I have labeled the big turning point year, and you'll see why in a second. 1965 is definitely the setting for Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster because that movie, A, obviously takes place after Godzilla and Mothra have had their battle, and B, right at the beginning of the movie, Japan is experiencing all of this weird weather, and they directly say to the camera that it's weird weather for January. Mm-hmm. which means that it's January 1965. Bam. Does it get any cleaner than that? And of course, 1965 would end up becoming a big year because in January of that year, that's when Ghidorah first invades the Earth. And this is also when in the real world and in the world of the Showiverse, Godzilla has a bit of a flip-switching moment. Um, he mm-hmm. does not necessarily become full anthropomorphic superhero, but something has changed. He's been brought to realize that he has to defend his planet. The world belongs to not just him and not just the monsters, but it's a world worth protecting. And it's, a you know, that great scene where the Shobijin are translating for Mothra and Mothra's trying to convince them. And it all ends, of course, in Mothra, Rodan, and Godzilla teaming up to kick King Ghidorah's keister and send him back to space where he ultimately ends up on Planet X. Because in our timeline, um, and again, this is very debatable, but just the timeline that we put together we are placing the events of invasion of astro monster aka monster zero in 1965 the year of the production i think it makes sense and so that's what we've kind of done especially because it keeps the timeline on a lot easier and again y'all have seen monster zero you know what happens yeah 1965 is just as busy as 1964 i'd say but um yeah before we move on to the rest of the timeline we have, uh, we have another kind of, theory that yeah, we have to another big, get into. And I like to call it the case of the multiple Kongs. Yes. Um, All right, Sherlock, what's did. going on here? <laughs> All right, so the case of the multiple Kongs. Could multiple Kongs exist in the, in the Showa universe? And if so, where's the proof? Fact. Yeah. The Kongs in King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong Escapes are not the same individual. Their heights and other stats are too different to make them the same Kong. Elementary, dear sir. Elementary. Yeah, so before, before we keep going I was with gonna that. Say, are we going to keep the uh, British thing going? <laughs> I'm finally dropping I'm, it. I'm, I, <laughs> everybody's putting their faces in their hands right now. Uh, <laughs> the, the main gist of this is the fact that the stats don't, as Nate said, so, so Britishly and so eloquently. <laughs> the stats for the two King Kongs that Toho made in the 60s just don't line up. The 1962 King Kong is huge. He's much bigger than the one that <laughs> yeah, in, I in think, 1962. Uh, I think he, uh, the the 62 Kong is 45 meters tall. And I forget yeah, how tall yeah. the King Kong Escapes Kong is, but he's not 45 say, meters. No, no. I think he's about half that, a little less than half that. So he's he's pretty tiny. He's still bigger than the 33 Kong. This one couldn't fight Godzilla easily. He's too small. So 
that leaves us with some interesting possibilities. One, we get rid of King Kong escapes entirely from the timeline, but I feel like doing that kind of excludes an interesting possibility. And that's the possibility that King Kong isn't just one creature, but maybe a species. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's more than one King Kong. And there's nothing, you know, there's a little bit that's kind of shaky in King Kong Escapes, but nothing too concrete that I think disqualifies as being a part of the show Dialogue in King Kong Escapes suggests, if you'll remember, that Kong's kind can easily swim between multiple islands. And at the very end of the film, we see King Kong leave Tokyo and sw- presumably swim back to Mondo Island. And we saw the King Kong in 1962 do this as well. Same thing. He swam a lot in that movie. So it seems very likely that um, the species may not be limited to one or even two islands. The theory that Nate and I came up with is that the Kongs as a species could have originated on a single island who knows how long ago. And after succeeding generations, dispersed across multiple South Pacific islands, Faroe and Mondo, of course, being two of them. And there was like a, a kind of a King Kong diaspora. Yes, right, you know, where which I think out. is the, the is my favorite term that we came up with while making this presentation, the King Kong was diaspora. Really, <laughs> I was really happy with that, just because it's, it's just ridiculous and clever. Um, and uh, one thing that you brought up, Nate, that I really liked was the difference in height and the difference in, uh, you know, even abilities and just general look could be explained by the islands that they swim to, like maybe one Kong you know, over succeeding generations didn't need to be as tall or short as other ones. Mm-hmm. And or so, uh, specifically, I was thinking you know. of the red berries and their juice on Pharaoh mm-hmm. because of their strange, unique properties allowed the Kongs that lived there to grow larger. That's also possible. And that's one of the things that they kind of threw into the dialogue for the, the English version, which again, we're not using the English versions, but I always think of, uh, which actually Eric reminds me. UN newsroom. Which actually reminds me. There, uh, I forgot to bring this up. It's not in our presentation, but I think it's worth noting because you and I have had discussions about this. But Godzilla: King of the Monsters from 1956. We don't have it here, but both of us do include it in the continuity. It's just that well, the way we look at it is that does take place 19. 19- 54 and we're just seeing the same events but from an american perspective the idea being that this was a film that is showing you the experience of reporter steve martin going through the same events because it doesn't really hurt to include it and it also explains why there's very different focuses in that and why mr martin wouldn't bring up things that were cut from the japanese version exactly yeah it's kind of an interesting topic i i personally kind of waffle back and forth on it because of the the oxygen destroyer explanation scene is different in both versions you'd have to accept that uh, emiko was telling it for the first time twice just based on ogata's reaction uh like because he's obviously hearing it for the first time when she tells it to steve and if they were uh you know if the two films were in the same universe then there'd be a bit of a, a problem there because she had to have already explained it to him so that's really the honestly the really only big thing it's fun to watch the original Godzilla and think that if you squint or maybe if the camera moved a couple of inches to the left or the right, that Steve Martin might be there. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, for the most part, they fit together. Yeah. And uh, as a, a huge fan of King of the Monsters 56, I'd, uh, it'd be fun if they were in the same world. 
Now, I will say, I don't think we grant that leniency to any other hyper-Americanized <laughs> versions of these movies. Uh, Brand the Unbelievable does not exist in this timeline. I don't think we want to include those <laughs> Sorry, two. Sorry, Myron Haley. Yeah, I don't think we're, we include those two doofuses from King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. you think cable I, news no, is, if you think modern yeah. cable news is boring, try watching those guys. Oh. <laughs> Now, Aaron Carter and Arnold Johnson, child's picture book user extraordinaire, are real, and you cannot convince me otherwise. They are my <laughs> All right, before Which we get too derailed, yeah. moving on. <laughs> 1966. Yeah, back to the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, yes, since we included Frankenstein Conquers the World, we are also including War of the Gargantuas, and because we realized... Frankenstein Conquers the World is actually set in 1960. That makes it totally okay that we could have this time jump into War of the Gargantuas, which we're saying takes place in 1966. Yeah, it really fixes things because um, the assumption is generally that 65 is the year that Frankenstein takes place. And this is another one of those things where it's a kind of a, a kind of sort of sequel. You know what I mean? But it's, yeah. Because the characters are very similar, but they're not the same. The monsters are similar, but they're not the same. But I think the time jump really makes two of them being connected continuity-wise a lot more palatable because that's a six-year gap. And think about it. In that time, a baby brown gargantua is found, studied, raised, escapes. At least a year passes. And during that time, his skin gets ripped off. It floats out to the sea. Gyra is formed. The little brown gargantua grows tall. And then, of course, they come together and have their fight. If all of that had happened between Frankenstein's demise in 65 and then the War of the Gargantuas in 66, it just would have been too much. It's one of the reasons that we didn't include Battle in Outer Space because, again, it takes place in 65. And if we're saying Monster Zero is that year, it's just too much. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be a crime to omit War of the Gargantuas, especially in light of the actual accurate date that we've given to uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World. Because, I mean, it, more of the Gargantuas is awesome. Like, who, I don't want to get rid of that. I, it, it hurt me enough to get rid of Mysterians and Battle in Outer Space I, because those are two of my favorites. I mean, the words just get stuck in my throat, man. I mean... <laughs> That's the joke everybody makes about that get movie. <laughs> but uh, also get that year... <laughs> also that year, we had Godzilla vs. Sea Monster, Ever a Horror of the Deep, whichever title you prefer, which actually works out very nicely because that's off in the South Pacific and Gargantuas is in Japan. So you got monster stuff happening in different places in the world now. And then we go to 1967 and we have King Kong Escapes and we've already gone into a bunch of stuff about King Kong Escapes to explain that. And Son of Godzilla. So again... Well, actually, King Kong Escape starts in the South Pacific and then goes to Japan, and Son of Godzilla is all in the South Pacific. But, you know, yeah, so again, you South got Pacific kaiju era. stuff happening all over the world. Exactly. But that brings and us to our next fan theory to connect all of this stuff, and it's one that is near and dear to my heart because of this podcast. <laughs> and that is Monster Island versus Monsterland. <laughs> <laughs> this has ended up being kind of an interesting point of uh, gentle brotherly contention. Um, it because was. <laughs> the, it is a, yeah, it was because the idea of Monster Island and Monsterland is handled very confusingly in the movies. 
it boils down to three different theories. And actually, Nate and I have two polar opposite idea, like ideas that we accept as canon, you know, in our own, in our own way. And I put all three of them down here so that you, a dear listener, can uh, listen to them and make up your own mind. First up is the silent theory, which is the theory that you uh, subscribe to, Nate. Yeah, this is the theory I subscribe is, to on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the entire thing that your show is based on, which is the idea that the island called Monster Island, seen in the 70s films, the first time we see it, it would be in uh, Godzilla vs. Gigan, is actually the island in the Augusta War chain that becomes Monster Land in 1999. Mm-hmm. Canonically, that theory doesn't line up, but it's a very popular one, and it definitely would ruin your show if it wasn't true. <laughs> it, <so>. it would. <laughs> and the thing is, is this, this is a, like, like you said, it's a popular theory where it gets murky is there's been some material published by Toho that gives different ideas. And there are some lines in some of the seventies movies that depending on how you want to interpret them could mean that it is a separate location, which is, the next theory, which is that they are two different places, because in Godzilla versus Megalon, there's dialogue in there that seems to say that Monster Island, that we see referenced in Godzilla versus Gigan, is destroyed by the n- nuclear tests, and then the monsters between then and 1999 get moved to Monsterland in Ogasawara. Yeah, that's the theory that is um, generally accepted, and it's the one that Toho, through its various publications over the last few decades, says that's the accurate one. It's not in the Ogasawara chain, so yeah. that's generally the one. If you read most, uh, you know, published materials and uh, material that is on like websites like Toho Kingdom and places like that, they vet their stuff very, very well. And their accepted theory is that they're not the same island. And that what we see in Megalon is the destruction of Monster Island. Um, Which because it begs you know. the question, where the heck did Jet Jaguar find Godzilla? Because <laughs> they said him, they said, we're yeah. sending him to Monster Island to get Godzilla. Dang it, yeah, that the, movie the complicates theory, yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> the theory being is that, I mean, you don't really see a lot of the island that he's on in Megalon. You don't see a lot of anything in that movie. No, you don't. <laughs> you just kind of see faces, but. But what you do see is very barren and sandy and gross. And it's kind of the, the and again, the, this is the implication that Toho themselves has made, is that Godzilla is still on what's left of the island, but the island is no longer inhabitable in the long term. And ha- whatever's left of it has to be abandoned. And so their ultimate decision is to round up the monsters and get them to a lo- new location. And as it turns out, it's one of the... Ogasawara Island. Yeah, yeah. there's also so I- some narration at the beginning of Megalon that describes Monster Island as being "quote unquote" far off, which is, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I coined in the Dogura episode, is wonderfully nebulous. <laughs> it is. The location. So the location you know, on the map that's or- it's very nondescript. And I've done my research. I've done my research on Ogasawara, listeners. <laughs> and you could still technically apply that to Ogasawara because it's 500 miles offshore from yeah, Japan. But- and 500 well, miles problem, is yeah. pretty hefty. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's quite a lot. The, the, the problem yeah. being is if memory serves, the map that they show at the beginning of Megalon that discusses where the bomb test was in Monster Island is not the location of the Ogasawara chain at all. Like, it's just completely elsewhere. 
So it seems very unlikely that they're the same location. But if you accept that they are different locations, we can actually maybe even get a little bit more specific because there's one more theory. Yeah, and, and this, this is, is one actually that, this one is, that yeah. I came across on Wikizilla, interestingly, and they were treating it like this was the thing. I'm like, where did you guys get this? I don't know. They now, may it, have edited is, it out yeah. since then because Wikizilla <laughs> has gone through quite the transformation the last couple of years. Yeah, they've really done amazing stuff. That's an amazing site. Now, I was unaware that they were treating it as gospel there because, as far as I know, this has not been confirmed anywhere officially. The only quote-unquote evidence is somewhat circumstantial, but I'll be perfectly honest. I love this theory, and I think it makes sense. But again, this is where we enter, in my opinion, headcanon territory, and that is the Solgel Island theory, the idea that the monster island that we see in the 70s films was originally Solgel Island. And if you think about it, logistically, it makes sense because Godzilla, Minela, and Kumonga are already there frozen. Mm-hmm. There's a gap of time between 1967, when Son of Godzilla takes place, and 1971, the next time we see Godzilla, where obviously he was frozen and eventually had to thaw out. Now, you have three monsters, maybe a, a surviving Kamakiris, because you do see a Kamakiris in stock footage in Godzilla versus Gigan. But again, Kamakiris was on that island. If there was a surviving one, it would be there frozen. Same thing with Kumonga, who we can assume maybe survived being burned, and maybe the snow doused the fire and <laughs> Kumonga lived. <laughs> you have to kind of extrapolate these things. But let's just say, best case scenario, Godzilla, Minela, Kumanga, Kamakiris, there's already four monsters on this island. That's already a great start. So why not whenever another monster pops up, like Agorasaurus, or like whatever mo- other monsters you see in stock footage in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, uh, not Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, Godzilla vs. Gigan. <laughs> Wrong uh, continuity, wow. sir. <laughs> I think I actually time-traveled there for a second. I was thinking about <laughs> well, King I was thinking I, about Were you uh, dabbling in my Futurian editing technology there? I mean... <laughs> I was, and I don't think I'm going to do it again, but I make no promises. Yeah. But yeah, any of the monsters that are in that Gigan stock footage, we can assume are actually on the island at the time. And again, who do we see in that footage? We see Godzilla, Menela, Kamakiris, and Kumanga, and then maybe a few other ones, obviously, monsters in there, Gorosaurus is in there. So they'd really only realistically have to transport a couple of monsters to the island, and they'd probably freeze once they got there. And then when the island thaws out, bam, you have a contained island with all these monsters on it, and most of the work is already done for you. Again, there's nothing in the films that implies that's what they did, but it's a good theory. And one of the big pieces of, again, completely circumstantial evidence that people often cite that by this theory is the fact that Toho has referred to Solgal Island as Monster Island before, in fact, in the title of the film. The Japanese title of Son of Godzilla is, uh, let's see if I can say this right here, Kaijuto no Kesen, Gojira no Musuko, which is Monster Island's decisive battle, Godzilla's son. So in the title, they call it Monster Island. Now, is that a smoking gun? Uh, I don't think so, but it's great evidence for a theory that I actually really, really like. And uh, probably one that makes sense I'll, I'll probably run with in my novelizations. Maybe. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I really like this theory a lot. I think it makes the most logistical sense. I think that saying that's how it happened doesn't contradict anything in the movies. So it's that's yeah. my pick for <laughs> uh, for it. But either way, as we progress through the rest of the timeline here, whether we're calling it Monster Island or Monster Land doesn't particularly matter. But it, it is something we wanted to bring up because it's a fun question to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one of those things that the movies 
practically beg you to try to answer for yourself. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nate, let's finish the 60s, shall we? Yeah, here we go. 1969. Notice we did skip a couple of movies. One we'll get to. And if you're wondering, where's Godzilla's Revenge? That's not in this universe. That's set in the real world. <laughs> That, Just so was, you know, yeah, <laughs> I know there are some people is, who yeah. who make the argument that it is in the showiverse, and Ichiro is obsessed with the real monsters. No, <laughs> no. that movie. It, 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 now, if anyone out there, you know, we're not going to tell you that you're you can't think that because that's no, yeah, you know, we're not right? gatekeepers. But, you know, but, what are you talking about? No, no, no. <laughs> for, of course not. But in our humble 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 perspectives, see, I can talk. <laughs> is it, the movie is definitely in its real world scenes drawing attention to the real worldness of its setting. That movie is 1969 Kawasaki all the way through, unless you're inside of Chiro's head. And there's really no evidence to suggest that in that same universe, there's super science and masers and space travel beyond what a, you I mean, know, the come Apollo on. Vision, One of the stuff. plot points in there is Chiro watches the moon landing. Uh, We were in the show of verse. They were visiting a whole other planet just a few years before this. (laughs) We would, they had gotten well beyond the moon landing at this point. (laughs) Absolutely. But in lieu of, of uh, Godzilla's revenge, uh, which is its own little thing and its own little world and is not part of the show of continuity. We made an executive decision and uh, we, we threw latitude zero in its place. Because it's why? funny. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> in more ways way. than one. <laughs> Moving on. And then we get to 1970 yeah. and we have Space Amoeba or Yogg Monster from Space. I think it was the alternate title for it in English. Yes, so again, it, another alien sort of invasion but it's a lot smaller it's again a a smaller story isolated to one island so again it's inconsequential to include it yeah it fits in nicely it it feels it's you know it's the very tail end of the golden age of uh you know toho's monster output and if for no other reason than that it would be a shame to admit it but it's such an insular story kind of like matongo it's all on one island it makes sense so yeah before we move on to the 70s uh we already talked about why we omitted all monsters attack but there's one other movie from this period that we let go of that does not fit and that is Gorath which again doesn't fit it is too huge too many consequences I mean they move the whole dang earth and it just doesn't work the big reason though and uh, I have heard arguments as to why this might not work but realistically speaking this is the smoking gun Gorath literally shows the moon being destroyed. The moon is atomized in this film, and Destroy All Monsters has the moon as a main setting. Yes. (laughs) Moving on. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's as simple as that. that. Although, again, weirdly enough, some people do try to connect Gorath to another space movie because you never see the moon. And I'm thinking, that is the textbook definition of circumstantial evidence. We're moving on. <laughs> it is. But it's still fun to think about, though. But yeah, now it's time for the Psychedelic the... 70. Booyah! So now we get to 71. So th- again, think about this. This is Godzilla's first appearance uh, that we know of, anyway, in four years. Because we last saw him in present day on Saul Gale, Sound of Godzilla. So then we have Godzilla versus Hedera. And we all 
sort of remember that movie. <laughs> what, what parts didn't melt our brains? Yes. And then the next year we had one of our personal favorites, Godzilla versus Gigan. Oh, yeah. And then the glorious train wreck. And also, and we had talked about this a little bit, as I said, okay, do we want to include Zone Fighter? Because I have been told, as weird as this sounds, Zone Fighter is in canon with the Showa Godzilla movies. <laughs> to which I yep, thought, are is, you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> that is insane. Seriously, at this point in the 70s, we have hit full tilt superhero universe. <laughs> there is no yeah. going back. You know, yeah, there is, is, is such a huge difference between Godzilla 1954 and Zone Fighter. I'm just saying. Yeah. It, it's, it's about as far off as it gets. I remember when I emailed you, uh, when we were putting this timeline presentation together, I emailed you the master list of all the stuff that I thought we should include. And you emailed me back and you said, Zone Fighter's on there. And I said, heck yeah, Zone Fighter's on there. And you said, is it in continuity with Godzilla? And I said, oh yeah, it is. Oh yeah, it is. And I'll tell you what, I got messages and I went back and read the comments when we did our first pass at this presentation. When we got to Zone Fighter, people lost their minds. They were excited that we were talking about Zone Fighter. It's so weird because this is not an easy show to watch in the no. US. It's never gotten an official release. It can be <clears throat> it can be found. And I do recommend I do but um yeah, it, it is a fan, it's a fantastic little show. It's super fun and one hundred percent in continuity with Godzilla. And I, I won't we won't get into all of it here, but the the basic bullet points are Gigan is in this show and we actually see him, spoiler alert, get very dead. Zone Fighter <laughs> takes him out. <laughs> Ghidorah, uh, Ghidorah also shows up and interestingly, he is the only monster who appears on the show who does not die. It's a, it's a great show. We're moving on. But yeah, uh, Zone yeah. Fighter is absolutely <laughs> canon and absolutely worth watching. But uh, I think it's time to finish the 70s. Yeah, here we go. The, and I love yeah. your title for this. The Advent of Mechagodzilla. <laughs> 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 so 1974, we have Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Hello, King Caesar. And then we get to 1975, Terror of Mechagodzilla with Titanosaurus and a rebuilt Mechagodzilla. And in terms of the series, this is the end of the Showa era. However, <laughs> also the 70s is definitely the uh, the years of alien invasions. I mean, come on, we had one a year for three years. <laughs> no, we had four oh, yeah. if you include the Cetopian. So there was invasions going on all over the place in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, but sure. this is the, in terms of chronologically in production order, this is the end of the Showa era. However, well, first we have to talk about movies from the seventies we left out. <laughs> we do, we do, because the, the, the era is not over, but it is worth noting that between, and this is a, this is not just the seventies, but it's the seventies and beyond because mm -hmm. we have to jump all the way to the nineties for the next one. But the movies that we left out of the 70s, 80s, and moving on from here are uh, the Bloodthirsty Trilogy, which is Toho's vampire films. Not a lot to say about that. It just didn't fit. It was, ton it was yeah. tonally dissonant. It didn't work. Sayonara Jupiter, Princess from the Moon, uh, which I left out for similar reasons that The Three Treasures was left out. Gunhead, that one specifically has timeline stuff that doesn't add up. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Nate. 
the war in space. Yes. Sorry. sorry, Jimmy. No war in space. Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> it may fit with Gorath because mm. of the whole moon thing, but it does not fit in the Godzilla universe, the show of Sorry, Jimmy from NASA. But um, <laughs> the, so, so <laughs> that is the final verdict. But speaking of final, we got to get to our final film. The grand finale, 1999. Let's party like it's 1999. So we get oh, to destroy yeah. all monsters. Movie was made in 1968, but it canonically takes place in 1999. Although the placement of the year I does seem to be a tiny bit debatable. It says specifically 1999 in the dub, but in the Japanese version, it just, again, wonderfully nebulous. It just says the end of the 20th century. Again, official Toho material does cite the year as 1999, so it seems like that's pretty much the lock-in year for that. That's really about it. Now, if there's been very little material that's been published about anything that happened after that. The only thing that you could conceivably punch after this in terms of stuff that you see in the films would be, you know, and it's not necessarily canon because it wasn't produced through Toho, but the Meister Titano story, which is the sequel to Terror of Mechagodzilla with Katsura and a Mecha Titanosaurus. That sounds um, that was insane yeah. and kind of awesome. It's a, <laughs> It is a great read. It was written by uh, Yukiko Takigama, who wrote the original Terror of Mechagodzilla story in 1975. So she got to write a uh, sequel. That's amazing. She wrote a sequel in which Katsura is revived. It takes place in 2075, 100 years after her death. And uh, it's off in the future, and there's like underwater mining colonies. It's a really bizarre story. Titanosaurus is now a mech, and <laughs> it has a... It, 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 unreal it's uh, it's a wonderful story it has not been officially published in english but anybody out there who's curious about it it has been fully translated and it is on toho kingdom right now to read for free so go support Hot that dang um, absolutely nate find that and put a link to it uh, when should. the episode goes live because everybody should read that a because it's great b to support toho kingdom and the great work that they do uh, translate because they'll translate They've been translating so many wonderful things, uh, plot for unmade movies. And um, I mean, they just do amazing work over there. But yeah, if you want to read it, it is available to read in English. And it's not technically canon because she wrote it because she could. You know, she just wanted to. But it is a wild, crazy read. It's like it's the closest thing to the Last Hope comic that was included with the new Gamera set. Yeah, which was originally written as a fan project. Uh, I'd love to see something like that happen with Meister Titano because it is a wild story. It's very sweet. It's surreal also. Um, It's written very, very evocatively. It's crazy. But if you really want to make that like the ultimate, very, very far side bookend to the show, a series, then sure. Why not? I I mean, at this, I mean, that's even in the future for the podcast. (laughs) That's how nuts this is. It's off in the distance, but yeah. um, Ultimately, whether you want to include that one or not, our list for those curious came to a total of 27 movies. Mm -hmm. Well, 26 movies in one TV show. Yeah. 26 episodes. So, so. uh, so 26 films, one TV show, 14 Godzilla films, and then the rest are not Godzilla. Exactly. That's it. We yeah. got through it. We actually we did got the whole through darn it. thing. We got to do Woo. an extended version and no interruptions, no technical difficulties. This is great. But I want to quickly move on to the next part of the show. 
And this is the part where you listeners got a chance to be involved with the show. Because I asked everybody to send in, either in audio or written form, messages telling me what your favorite moments, favorite episodes, or what I said favorite moments, but a lot of people talked about their favorite episodes of the show Mm -hmm. from the first year. Before we get started, since a huge chunk of the feedback that I got is from patrons, I thought it would be a little unfair, Danny, to exclude you. So since you're here via Skype, admittedly, (laughs) you're in Ohio and I'm still in Indiana. (laughs) We're pulling the curtain back a little bit here. Hence why I said live from the Midwest. So really quick, before we get into everyone else's feedback, what was your favorite moment from the first year of the Monster Island Film Vault? Well, man. Don't go with the obvious. I mean, come on, surprise me. Don't go with the yeah. obvious. No, I can't. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go with the obvious. I, it, man, I was, I was really thinking about this because all the episodes are great. I particularly have really, I always like re-listening to your mini-sodes just because they're, I mean, they're shorter form. There's, there's, you know, Jimmy gets to mess around with you a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, yeah, I, uh, I love this. Just to, you know, this is kind of something that you would get on Patreon. So here's, for those of you who aren't patrons, as I do behind the scenes blogs on Patreon, a little tidbit here for you. If I don't have a guest on the show, those episodes are scripted. So all the Jimmy interruptions on the minisodes, those are all scripted. Everything else, that is on the fly, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it just goes. It's really hard to kind of narrow it down because I love the discussions of like the more obscure films. And I was really trying to pick one because my number one pick for your mini shows and just episodes in general that I've really, really loved is Matongo. Your Matongo <laughs> episode. Because, but, but it, You've it, got I'm an ulterior motive that. for that one too. Admit it. I do. I do. I do. So I had to throw that one out because I didn't want to say, because my actual, my, my real personal favorite highlight was when I bribed Jimmy into uh, becoming a Patreon backer for the GNP. <laughs> uh, because the, the funny thing, listeners, is that, that you didn't get to hear was when I did that, <laughs> I was like, hey, Jimmy, I know you like Monster Zero. If you become a, a patron I'll, at $10, I'll put your name in the Monster Zero book. What you guys didn't hear was Nate laughing for about a minute straight. <laughs> um, that is true. After I, he, he lost it. We and then after that, I was trying to hold a straight face, and then I lost it. Uh, but that's not in an episode, so I, I can't include it. I'm going to say your half human episode. That was an episode. I will admit, I was a little bit nervous going into it. That was the first time I had done an episode where I felt nervous. Oh well, I felt a tiny bit nervous about doing the anime trilogy, but for different reasons and for reasons that were much less potent. Mm-hmm. Um, with that one, it's just like I'm gonna take the stance that feels like a minority that says the anime trilogy is good, and I was preparing myself for some backlash from that. I never really got any, which was much appreciated. But half human yep. was a whole other thing. And I was really concerned. That was the first time I had really dove into a very sensitive subject that has kept this movie locked up in the vault <laughs> for yeah. 60 and that, years. That's what, yeah. And that's why I, I just, it. I yeah. was wondering to myself, am I really the guy who should be doing this? I totally get that. I, and that's one, that's the, that's why I like it. That's why I like the episode because it's not a movie that gets talked about 
barely at all. Um, I've talked about it before. I have a, um, a few years ago, I started writing a very in-depth history of the film um, and an exploration of it after it kind of got rediscovered again in its Japanese form a few years ago. I was writing it for G-Fan and I didn't end up finishing it partly for the reasons that you brought up because there are some touchy subjects in it and you have to know your history in order to talk about them accurately and tastefully. And I got nervous that I might accidentally say something wrong or that I would get my history lesson wrong because I am a huge art person in general that extends to movies, obviously. I'm not a big fan of banning movies. I think that, you know, <laughs> you know, too, there are movies that I'm never going to sit down and watch. But the fact that we live in a world where, you know, like Birth of a Nation, like you can go watch Birth of a Nation. I, I think it's an illustration but, of know. cultural differences is really what it is. The Japanese have yeah. always been, in terms of how we as Americans would understand it, have been more liberal than the United States. And they're much more sensitive to certain things. Yeah. And things like and the treatment yeah. of the indigenous people, the Ainu. That's a very touchy subject. And yeah, we have a similar thing here in the United States, mm -hmm. but we don't shy away from it nearly as much as they do. And that's where that whole who am I to do this thing comes into play, because at the end of the day, who are we? We are fans of a genre on the other side of the planet from where this topic is sensitive. And we can empathize with the sensitivity of the topic, but culturally, we're never really going to completely understand it. Mm -hmm. And that's where your show comes in because you're seeking to understand it. Mm -hmm. And you're seeking to take that understanding and share it with other people in a completely, you know, it's not really like, this is my opinion on this or that. These are the facts. This is why the movie ended up the way it did. This is why people think of it in this way now. This is its legacy. That's important, especially for something like this that's very cultural and also very sensitive because people might know that the movie's banned, but they might not know why. Yeah. It's all about that right balance of being informative and being sensitive and being understanding and empathetic, but also entertaining. Mm -hmm. And that episode, I think, balanced all of that stuff really, really well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just an episode that I enjoyed listening to. It was an episode that I was like, dude, he did good. Like it yeah. was, it was, well, it was well, but that's a, yeah. that's there a are for a few episodes that I would point to in the first year that I would say retrospectively, I would say they were milestones in the development of the show. And I do think that was mm -hmm. one of them. I think episode three with the anime trilogy was one as well, but for different reasons. That one was a huge step. Now, admittedly, what you heard on that episode was actually me reading an excerpt from a paper I did for an independent study while I was in grad school. Well, yeah. technically, I'm still in grad school. hate to burst everyone's bubble, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm finishing it up right now. And that was one of six Shiro Honda movies that I covered, and I specifically wanted to tackle that one because of the controversy that it found itself embroiled in. And I still hold to, if I remember what I said in that episode correctly, I still hold to the idea that it doesn't deserve to be banned. I don't think it's racist. If you're going to call half-human racist, just like Peter H. Brothers said in his book, then if you apply that logic to American films, the vast majority of Westerns, classic Westerns, are going to have to be considered culturally inappropriate and disallowed from ever being viewed again. And I think that's a huge disservice. A massive, massive disservice. I think enough time has passed. I think this movie should be let out of the vault. 
and let people make their own decisions. I feel the same way about Song of the South with Disney, which is the only movie I can think of made in the United States that comes anywhere close to the treatment that Half Human and also 20 years later, The Prophecies of Nostradamus, what it got. We'll get into that a little bit later, but Prophecies of Nostradamus is on the docket, but I feel like it's Mm going to be a lot easier to tackle because the issues are different. And maybe I'm wrong for saying this, but it doesn't feel quite as sensitive to me, but maybe I'm wrong. I may change my mind once I actually get there. Yeah, that's another movie that's very, very rooted in the culture because at the end of the day, my stance on it is I can watch a movie like Half Human or a movie like Nostradamus and I can look at it and say, yeah, I think that's insensitive. Or I can look at it and say, I don't think that's insensitive. Like, yes or no. But at the end of the day, whether it doesn't really matter what I think because it's not my culture. Yeah, You know what I mean? I will never understand completely. I can research the heck out of it. I can, you know, I can be empathetic about it. I can, you know, I can try to understand as best I can, but I didn't grow up in that culture. So I will never completely be able to grasp what is and isn't offensive to a culture that is not my own. So it's really, from my perspective, again, like I said, I don't like movies being banned. I'd like, you know, even the most vile insensitive movies of all time. I mean, I mentioned Birth of a Nation before, and that movie has got just some atrocious stuff in it, beyond atrocious. But you can still get your hands on it and watch it. Doesn't mean you have to like it, but if you want to use it as a, a learning tool, an educational tool, a history lesson, as long as you understand the history of it and the context of it, it should be available to at least see. But that's me as an American looking at an American film and me as an American looking at a Japanese film. Yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can't make that call. I don't mm-hmm. have a right to make that call. I'm the whitest white bread ever. You know, well, I mean, I think it's just because you're not Japanese. You take skin color out yeah. of this. You're yeah. not Japanese. That's what it really racially, boils no, down yeah, to. Yeah. Well, the, you know, racially wise, I couldn't be less Japanese, you know, yeah. it's just, But one of the things that I do hope to do, and it goes part and parcel with a tagline for the show, seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I'm really hoping that my show, and there are others out there that endeavor to do stuff like this, but try to bridge the gap between the original intended audiences for these movies and modern day audiences that are removed by time and place with these films. It's really what it is. Yeah. When we're talking yeah. about classic and foreign films. I mean, the, that's two levels of separation right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A lot of time has passed. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of space involved and uh, projects like this podcast and other podcasts, and actually even to an extent, the GNP, the idea of taking that cultural and spatial, you know, and time-wise divide and just kind of compressing it as much as we can, you know, as much as I possibly can to present retellings of stories that other people wrote, yes, but retellings done for American readers that are absolutely as respectful to the original versions as can possibly be done. That's one of the reasons that I do what I do and how I do what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I take a lot of pains to make sure that things are accurate and things are respectful. You know, not because I'm afraid I'm going to get dinged, but because I have to hold myself to a standard. And that standard is dictated by the amount of respect I have for the movies and the people that made them. And that respect is immeasurable. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this genre is my bread and butter. I have deep respect for the people who worked on it, the culture that produced it. And you obviously do, too. And, you know, it's always interesting being in a culture outside of the one that, that produces the art that fascinates you. So I always like 
hearing that perspective and that I, that ability to look at something that is very outside of our own sphere and to try to present it to people who might not know everything in a fun way, because the other part of your show is that it's fun. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> and so who boy, yeah. who boy, people, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only yes. knew yes. what I have planned. Anyway, the, let's move on to, coming. yes, we'll get to that in yeah. a little bit, but yeah. oh, let's yeah. move on to some of our audio feedback. So I'm going to play a couple of them here. Our first one comes to us from one of your fellow patrons and one of your fellow guests on the podcast, that being Bex from Redeemed Otaku. Starting a new creative project is hard work, and it's been a whole year since the launch of Monster Island Film Vault, and boy, what a year it's been. Looking back on my time spent on the island has taught me some valuable lessons, like be sure to get plenty of rest, or... Don't use strange teleporters, and the most important yet, don't look a gift miniature cyborg dragon in the mouth. <laughs> don't worry, Corvus. I won't start singing the Mothra song again. Anyway, here's to another year of spectacular podcasting and extraordinary adventures. Redeemed Otaku says... Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bex. <laughs> she actually told me that she styled this after the PSAs that would air after episodes of Sailor Moon. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's why it sounded familiar. That's yes, hilarious. <laughs> Given I love it. that I have seen a grand total of one episode of Sailor Moon in my life, she, uh, I was glad she explained that to me. Bex's episodes, particularly her third one, episode 16, I believe is what it was, for Rebirth of Mothra 3, it, I think will go down as yet another turning point for the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A oh, huge yeah. turning point for the show. Not only did I introduce not the first original character on the show, but the first major original character in the show that, <laughs> much like you with Dr. Dorov, has kind of taken on a life of its own. <laughs> That's always the best part. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it was such a perfect marriage, because I've known Bex for a while. She's had me on her show several times before MIFV came into existence. And as time went on, I really began to realize, my gosh, she is the perfect person to introduce the Mothra trilogy to because it is right up her alley. She's a massive fan of Sailor Moon and Magical Girl anime. And that was actually one of my selling points to her for this. I just said, the Mothra twins are magical girls. I mean, that's it's what they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. magical girls. And she fully embraced it. Her enthusiasm on the show was real. She really did love, particularly the third one. She loved the Mothra movies, that trilogy. And I think I have turned her, no joke, I think I have turned her into a Mothra fangirl. She wants more Mothra. I have sent her <laughs> lists of movies. She's like, here's all the movies Mothra's in. Have fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As a uh, unapologetic Mothra fanboy, I say, Welcome to the club. We can use more wonderful people like yeah. that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the, some of the things that she did, she got so much better as time went on with each of her episodes. And she threw surprises at me that I rolled with and then led to <laughs> the creation of the infamous Crystal Lady Jessica, who 
just to let all of you listeners know, she will be coming back. Uh, in fact, she's going to make her first return appearance in an upcoming episode of Redeemed Otaku. But thank God. <laughs> She will no longer be voiced by me. (laughs) That was a good joke. That was a good joke one time. I don't think I could keep it going. No, good call. I think. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but I'll keep you posted about that. So here's our next one, which comes from Jack G man Hudgens. Hey, Nathan, it's uh, Jack uh, G-Man on Twitter and on the Drift Space. Just wanted to wish you and your show a happy anniversary. One of my favorite episodes is actually the King Kong Lives episode. First of all, I'm just excited that you found someone that took the side of the movie. Uh, and I like the juxtaposition between you guys. But also, there was just so much interesting background about a kind of fluff piece of a movie. Is really fascinating, and I was really, really digging all the meat you guys were getting into with that film. Another great uh, episode, of course, is the, you know, your look back at the anime trilogy. I always love those movies kind of being reappraised, especially so soon after they've been released. And, you know, I had a great time on the Gorath episode and getting into a bar fight with Jimmy. That was a whole lot of fun. So, uh, you know, hope you are on the island carrying that occupation for many, many more seasons. Happy anniversary from everyone uh, on the Drift Space. Always stay strapped, and we love you, man. Take care. Jack, you don't realize how right you are. (laughs) Many more seasons, (laughs) my friend. Oh, good goblin. (laughs) I'm I'm privy. I'm not going to say anything, and y'all aren't prepared. (laughs) You are not. My lips are sealed, but... I've joked about it a little bit on Patreon. I did let everybody know on Patreon at the very least that I have a five-year plan for the podcast. And then it ballooned. (laughs) And I'll leave it at that. It's not a five-year plan anymore. It's not a five-year plan anymore. It ballooned. So, yes. And the funny thing is, Jack, I haven't had the chance to tell you this, but... I don't know if your bar fight story with Jimmy was made up on the spot, but you came up with something that technically foreshadows something coming up in season two. (laughs) I know what it is, but I'm not going to (laughs) tell. And it's been, to be honest, there have been points with this podcast where I honestly think it's providential, the things that have been happening. (laughs) (laughs) with things being foreshadowed that I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that happened and it wasn't planned. (laughs) But the episode on King Kong Lives, that is really interesting, I thought, that he brought that up. He didn't mention who my guest was. I was so surprised he forgot. That was John LeMay. And he, to this day, remains the only person I know who unironically loves that movie. (laughs) I have a confession to make. Don't tell me you unironically love the movie now. <laughs> I don't hate King Kong Lives. I enjoy it. It's fun. It's a good one. Yeah, but is I mean, it unironic yeah, yeah. love? I, I qualify by saying unironic love. <laughs> well, I when I first saw it, I was expecting, based on everything I'd heard, a complete, like, unwatchable garbage fire train wreck. <laughs> Doomster fire! <laughs> Doomster fire, yeah. The, the movie 
isn't like completely amazing, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as people say. I legitimately, genuinely enjoy that movie. I really do. Yeah. I like that episode because I, yeah. it's, I, I like finding episodes like that where it makes me feel a little less alone, you know, a little. <laughs> well, and little- <laughs> I, I don't remember 100% what I said in that episode, but I have a feeling my opinion hasn't really changed, which is there are merits to what King Kong Lives was trying to do. I won't deny that. I do think John is right in saying that this was the first time someone, I mean, other than maybe kind of sort of the Toho movies, but this was the first time that someone tried to do something different with Kong. And yeah, it doesn't get executed as well as it should, but I would still tell you that my appreciation... <laughs> <laughs> for King Kong Lives is still probably about 80% ironic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, that is a significant amount. <laughs> That's yes. Most. And now I'm going to move on real quick here to one of our email feedbacks. Although this actually came to me from, I should say, this actually came to me on Instagram. It was a a DM on Instagram. This comes to us from another patron. It is Eli Harris, a.k.a. Elizilla13, and he just started a couple of Twitter accounts, one of which does toy photography. So he writes, Hey, Nathan, happy first anniversary. I want to say that this podcast is a big inspiration for me, so much so that I have started my podcast with some of my friends. I want to inject myself in here. As far as I know, he's done two episodes of this, It's only on YouTube currently. It's called Tokusatsu Beyond. So, getting back to his letter. I love how you take a topic from history and apply it to the kaiju film that week. That's the biggest reason I listen, the history. Also, the banter between you and Jimmy has gotten some good laughs out of me, let me tell you. Well, I could keep going, but I want to say thanks for a great podcast. Thank you so much, Eli. And the other thing that was great about Eli is Eli was one of the first people to sign up for the top tier on the Patreon, which just made my day when I saw that. I just want to say that his story is not an isolated one. I have had one or two other people who have told me that in one form or another, listening to MIFV in the last year has inspired them to either start their own podcast or start another podcast based on what they've heard me do. And as much pride as I have taken in the content that I have created, the fact that I have inspired other people to endeavor on their own creative projects within this fandom, I think I take more pride in that than I think anything else I've done on the show. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing feeling. Um, I've I've gotten that myself with the, the Godzilla novelization project, people emailing me and saying, you inspired me to dust off an old fan fiction or to try to write my own short story or make a timeline of my own, things like that. It, it is just astoundingly humbling, isn't it? It's really, really amazing. It's just, it's just darn cool. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's a confidence boost and um, it just, I don't know, it's just really, really humbling. Warms the heart. Indeed. And Hilariously, the the guy we're about to hear from next just tried to call me. So, listeners, if you heard, I don't know if it came across on the audio, but if you heard a couple of mysterious beeps while Danny was just talking, that's what it was. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I'm not going to be editing this bonus episode nearly as stringently as I normally do. So sorry, but here we go. Now we have Michael, the Kaiju groupie Hamilton. Hey there, Nathan, Michael here, better known as the Kaiju groupie. Uh, just want to say happy anniversary, man. It, it has been a wild ride for sure. Uh, I discovered your show uh, many months ago when I was getting uh, reacquainted with the fandom, and yours was one of the first shows that I uh, sat down and checked out uh, because I was diving deeper into podcasts, uh, specifically podcasts that related to topics such as kaiju and giant monsters and Godzilla, and yours was one of the very first ones I started listening to, and it just uh, has always stuck around uh, in my, uh, podcatcher and, you know, I've enjoyed it from an academics, academic perspective. I've enjoyed it, uh, from an entertainment perspective. Uh, and I just want to say congratulations for making it this far. Uh, and personally, man, I, I really appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you do, uh, for this community and everything that you've done for me. You've encouraged me over, these several months, uh, which has led me to start my own show, which has led me to do, um, uh, good things with Travis at Kaiju weekly. And I think that I'm a better podcaster, uh, because of, uh, people like you that have, uh, mentored me along the way. Um, I count you among the many people that I call very good friends and I just appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything you do. Uh, once again, congratulations on one year of podcast riftastic goodness. And here's to many, many more. Take care. I, I can't make the same joke I did with G-Man because Michael knows <laughs> about Z plans. <laughs> He does. Michael, <laughs> such a sweetheart. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, oh my I, gosh. Michael is one of a lot of new friends that I have made in the last year doing this. It's actually a little bit funny. He gave a little bit of the story, but it's actually a little bit funny. Our friendship kind of happened by accident. <laughs> Originally, he was just another guy on another podcast that I really didn't know. I had heard of Kaiju Weekly. I hadn't listened to Kaiju Weekly. But he got a hold of me out of the blue after he had been following me on Twitter for a bit and just said, hey, we're going to do an episode on Kaiju Weekly about the state of the fandom. And I thought it would be cool to have you on. And so I said, sure, I'll come on. And then the rest is history. It's kind of crazy. And then circumstances ended up making us even better friends as time went on. So. I don't think the show would be where it is now. I don't know, know if it would have made it to this first anniversary if not for Michael. I'm, I feel like I'm indebted to him to a certain extent. <laughs> and his show, he didn't mention the title of it. It is The Kaiju Groupie. It's a very unique podcast in the community. It's the only one of its kind that I can think of. The, both of us, Danny, have been on the show, so we Indeed. know what it's like it's an interview show but he's not interviewing the celebrities in the fandom not the shusuke kanakos and the akira takaradas and all of that no he's interviewing people who are doing things in the fandom like the two of us and it's yeah. a fantastic show i can't recommend it enough <laughs> 
So hearing that warms my heart like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, he's and he's such a genuine guy. You know when he says it, you know he means it. It's so great. Yeah, I, I will heartily throw my support behind his show too. It is completely unique. He's doing something really wonderful and positive for this community, for our fandom. And uh, yeah, just a good dude, good show. Michael, you're awesome. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, he's just a cool guy. <laughs> All right. And a, and, good, and a good friend. Yes, <laughs> yes. And now moving on to our next one, yet another patron. It's Chris Cook from One Cross Radio. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is Chris, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> uh, and I just wanted to share one of my favorite moments. So it's less a moment. Um, my favorite episode of Monster Island Film Vault, uh, the episode which got me from really digging the podcast to be being all in on it and actually led me to reaching out to two different people um nathan and uh and dallas was the the peter jackson king kong episode it's a fantastic episode um everything about it and the jimmy sass the jimmy sass was off the charts if i remember correctly um loved that episode that whole episode was my favorite moment um (laughs) and then other moments would be Actually, when I, I had the pleasure of having Nathan and Jimmy on my show, um, we recorded it in the Monster Island Film Vault. I got a tour. I got to check out the awesome studio, uh, face off with Jimmy, but where I got to tell him to his face that uh, he should be played by Tom Cruise. Anyways, all the celebrations in the world. Uh, my favorite moment out of the monster island field vault would be when i had the the pleasure of becoming actual friends and prayer buddies with uh with mr nathan so i'm gonna stop rambling i hope this is useful and keep up the awesome work love the show love it and jimmy we will face off about the star wars prequels at some point have a good night gentlemen I don't think you're ready for that face-off, Chris. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I disagree with Jimmy about the Star Wars prequels as well, but mm, I know better than to egg him on too much about that. (laughs) I I tried it once, and it it didn't end well. I kept getting death glares from him when I, I made the I don't like sand reference. And then I think he was cooling down. And then I apologized by saying Misa, sorry. And <laughs> I'm amazed you made it off the island alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just glad I didn't have to take the, the fly with him with the robot back home. Cause he probably would have just tipped the wing a little and dumped me into the Pacific. <laughs> yeah. And then you would have to pray that uh, one of your favorite Kaiju would, uh, would show up and save you and take you home. And, yeah. Surface at that exact moment. And I, I, I ride Godzilla home. I, <laughs> hey, actually, I should insult Jimmy more often. That sounds yeah, like apparently. Yeah, but yes. Yes, so. The it, Chris is interesting. I had heard about him for a while. I, I do want to offer one little correction. I think he might have gotten a little confused because <laughs> he was talking about reaching out to Dallas because of the Kong 05 episode. And when I heard that, I kept thinking, wait, Dallas wasn't in that episode. 
<laughs> that was Danny. <laughs> Where did Dallas come from? Unless he's talking about me mentioning that Dallas was going to be on the next episode. I don't know. Otherwise, I would think that he's talking about Skull Island. So maybe I was there. Send me some additional feedback, Chris, to clarify, because I'm a little confused. But regardless, <laughs> but yeah, he was actually one of the first really fervent fans that I had, and he was out technically outside of the community. Now, his show is a hodgepodge of all things nerdy, and I love it because it is. And so, but he just kept popping up on my social media feeds, sharing everything about the show. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> I've heard about him, but I've never heard his show or anything. And then it's funny. He brings up having me and Jimmy, which by the way, at this point, one cross radio remains the only time so far where MIFV Nate and Jimmy have been guests. Otherwise, it is always just Nate. So that's been interesting. <laughs> but he was getting into the Gamera Heisei trilogy. He was making YouTube videos about it. And I messaged him and I just said, okay, this might seem a little bit crass, but if you ever want to do an episode on the Gamera Heisei trilogy, I volunteer as tribute. And he said, yeah, let's do it. Then I asked him, okay, do you want me to be in character or not? And he said, oh, yes. <laughs> With no hesitation. He's like, yes. <laughs> it's one of the most charming things about the show. I'm like, okay, do you want Jimmy too? Yes, bring Jimmy too. All right. Done. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> it has been done. And he and I talked for so long on the Gamera Heisei trilogy. He had to split it into two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Although that was partly because we went on tangents about how Gamera should join the Ninja Turtles. and <laughs> Well, I, I don't know anything about talking so much that the episode has to be split in half. I, that's never happened to me, ever. I, I, <clears throat> what are you talking about? You're the most talkative introvert that I've ever known. Guilty. I, like If you give me the right subject, I don't shut up. Obviously. I know. You and I have <laughs> had telephone conversations tell. that would give teenage lovers a run for their money. Context is everything, Marchand. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, but you know oh, what I'm talking about. You no, know we, what I'm talking no, about. You and, I, you and I will have epic monster talkathons, and we'll share ideas about developing the podcast, and you'll say, oh, I have this idea, and I'll say, run it by me. And it just goes on for hours and hours. It's, it's you know, this is what happens when you get two creative people in a room. Yeah, and, two uh, writers slash uber mm -hmm. fanboys, and it's just all uh, all the things that just come together. It's, it's one of the more delightful occupational hazards, I must say. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And now we have another email feedback here. This is from Travis Alexander. Michael's partner in crime over at Kaiju Weekly, and I might add, soon to be guest on this podcast. And he writes, greetings, fellow podcaster. I wanted to send a message to say congrats on reaching one full year of podcasting. MIFV continues to be a joy to listen to with its informative nature combined with a witty sense of humor. Keep up the work, Jimmy, and all of you do. Oh, and I guess Nathan, too. And he has a little winky face there. P.S. I'm still uh -huh. waiting. 
P.S. I'm still waiting for my transport to Monster Island to arrive. Hint, hint. <laughs> and I immediately messaged him afterward, and I, and I told him, surprise me. <laughs> That's what everyone else does. <laughs> Well, you I'm can't not, have I'm not the kidding. I am robot. not kidding. Every time I have people on the podcast, I have no idea how they got here. <laughs> that's always fun, man. Like that's it's been really fun listening to people come up with crazy, like increasingly bizarre ways they got to the island. It's just I don't know. That's that's one of the great parts about the show is the guests going along with the meta narrative and really leaning into it because it's just darn fun. You know, it's just an excuse to be a little goofy and make something up. And like, it's just a competition to see how hard we can make you laugh. <laughs> yeah. See if you can make me break character. <laughs> make you break character. Yeah. And uh, let gonna, me tell you, you, uh, you broke it hard a couple of times. I did. <laughs> I did. I did. The, uh, oh my gosh, the that Pteranodon thing is, I, uh, that was That fun. needs that to was, be immortalized <laughs> in a t-shirt. That's all I'm saying. I sign up. Yeah. For sure. But, uh. Now we come to some interesting feedback, to say the least, because this comes to me from the other side of the fourth wall, and I'm not Hmm. 100% sure what to do with it. I'll let you listen and see what you think. All right. Hello. Nathan, I I know you can't hear me right now, but this is... Dr. Torifon, Monster Island. I heard your first anniversary was coming up, and I just wanted to say congratulations on a whole year of podcasting excellence. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just a co-worker. I'm not just a friend. I'm a fan. Perhaps your biggest. I listen all the time. And, and I hope you're a fan of mine as well. My mushroom children and I wish you all the best of luck in your second year. And remember, we're always here, always in the darkness, <laughs> always waiting. <laughs> I think I might... I think I might need a moment to change my pants. I'm just saying. Um, I, that, yeah. I've you know how um, there's this theory that goes around about uh, multiverse and all of that that is kind of amusing that says that more or less the, the multiverse is, and this is actual theory, this is not comic book logic here, that the multiverse is infinite, which means that there's a universe out there where Superman is real. I, yeah, I, I think like that I may it's have still a second ago. I think I may have birthed one little tiny piece of the multiverse and it just reached out to me and I'm a little terrified. I mean is the skin like crawling on your back too right now? That's um, a little Yeah. Um uh, yeah, I'd I block uh, that e- I block that email. I take the email if it's Dr. Doris, you block that email. That, yeah, that's like Dante underscore Dorif at Matango.com or something like that. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what mm. this is. I was uh, a little surprised to see it in the podcast inbox. 
I guess he's a fan. I mean, yeah. that's nice, right? I mean, that means somehow my podcast is uh, reaching out into the multiverse, I guess. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Uh, you um, you have contributed to creating at least a tiny piece of the multiverse. That must have been yeah. incredible. It was surreal enough for me. It must have been really surreal for you. <laughs> yep. I'm in kind of one of those nebulous floating moments right now where i'm half expecting to wake up you know it's kind of, i'm not quite sure yeah i but, feel uh, i feel funky yeah well uh i didn't tell you this beforehand danny that wasn't the only message from the other side of the fourth wall that i got really yeah here's oh, the boy. other one uh, <laughs> uh let's do it greetings nathan William H. George here. Uh, I just want to pop on here just for a, for a quick second and congratulate you and your intrepid producer, James, on a very successful first year uh, of podcasting for the Monster Island Film Vault. Uh, without you, we would not be able to see a better way forward for all of our employees on the island. Uh, we look forward to continuing our relationship uh, we also look forward to new adventures uh, for you and your producer, James. We have many great things in store for the both of you in the coming months, and we are looking forward to seeing just how far you can go. Thank you for all you do uh, for this island and for your listeners. It is a pleasure. Take care. So tell me how the heck the collective voice of my fictional bosses just sent me an email. I don't know, but I feel like I need an adult. <laughs> an adult? <laughs> Do you need yeah. a hug? Because <laughs> I need a yeah. hug. <laughs> I think we, this is a, wow. I didn't think this was going to get interdimensionally creepy. Yeah. Who was that? Apparently the collective voice of the board of directors. You mean the board of directors that you invented for your podcast fictitious universe? Yes. Like I said, uh, from the other side of the fourth wall. Okay. I get th There are a couple ways you could approach this, but the other one doesn't matter. So definitely go with the <laughs> option where you ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. That might be wise. I fear for the fictionalized version of myself, but I yeah, think I yes. should theoretically be okay. I mean, I'm booked to go back on his show eventually. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I didn't hear that voice last time I was there. I heard about the mushroom dude, but I didn't know about the... Ugh. Well, I, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll find out. I'm going to... I, I don't really know what else to say. I feel icky. I feel weird. Yeah, I, 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 my world feels weirdly Orwellian right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is getting a little too end of 2001 for me, if you know what I mean. Yeah, although I will gladly see the end of this year, most definitely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think yes. most people will. I, honestly, I think weird interdimensional multiverse madness is the only thing that hasn't happened in 2020. At, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> 
At least it hadn't. Now it has. Yes, but only so much for, for uh, me, apparently. Unless there for- are other people out there who've had similar experiences and haven't reached out to me yet. If you have, if anyone listening has had that happen, yeah, please, please email Nate. Nate, if you get those emails, please tell me. I don't think I'll sleep until I get some answers. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, just saying. All right. uh, Moving on to some announcements, some uh, some happier things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Please, please. (laughs) Anyway, but speaking of uh, things for the podcast, I decided that one of the things I would do with this special episode, I'm not going to tell you. All of the plans. Not yet. But I will tell you at the very least what season two of MIFV will be. We've had kind of an extended first season because I launched the show in September of 2019. And I wanted the seasons to go by calendar year. So start in January. So I decided, you know what, I'll just go all the way through 2020. You heard it here first. The big theme For season two of MIFV, we're moving on from The Conquest and King Kong to the other big kaiju in the genre. 2021 is going to be the year of Gamera because there are 12 Gamera movies, just like there are 12 months in a year. It all makes sense. It does. Now, this I mean, you could, say there, you could say there's 13 if you want to include the hyper-edited version of the original movie, but I'm not, so. <laughs> no, 12, 12. Let's stick with 12. <laughs> yeah, we'll stick with 12. We'll stick with 12. So, yes, and I've got some fun ideas lined up for how to do that one. We're going to experiment a little bit with the format for the show. I've got a lot of cool guests lined up for it, including yourself, Danny. So... Yeah. You'll be coming yeah, back lined up. in an incontinuity episode. <laughs> yes, and an I'm in, anticipating an that will be a very fun one, too. Yes, I'm excited. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about what's going to happen, but um, I am super excited to be joining the show for this particular film to discuss it. I'm pumped. I'm ready to come back and talk some Gamera because, I mean, with the Arrow set having recently come out, I'm a, I've just been in a Gamera kind of mood. Yeah. You know, so I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people have. Yes. We'll see if we can ride that wave for a year next year. I am going to probably after this episode gets posted, I do think I will post an updated schedule that includes as many of the episodes and films that are going to be covered. So people will find out then what you're supposed to be. Now, admittedly, it will be a tentative schedule. A lot of things can happen in a year. A lot of things can happen in a day. (laughs) (laughs) I have learned. So don't necessarily expect all of what I'm putting out there to actually happen But if all goes as planned, it's going to be really fun. Not only do I have a theme for episodes to cover, or films to cover, I should say, but there's going to be a brand new storyline to go along with it as well. The meta narrative is going to change a little bit. It's going to start developing a little bit more. And I've gotten some input from you and Michael about how to go about it. I think it's going to be very entertaining. It'll be really fun. I'm hoping that as the show progresses, it won't become a full-fledged audio drama necessarily, but I am hoping that people tune in not only because they want to hear some good analytical and academic discussions of these movies that honestly most of them deserve to be treated that way, 
but also because they're getting invested in the characters that the, the very colorful characters, I might add, who are starting yes, to populate yes. my little universe here. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see that growth happen because when you first started out, it was it was you and Jimbo, and then gradually names got dropped, and then people started coming in and doing uh, you know acting. I mean, I got to do you know I got to come under Matongo and be creepy, and that was so fun. And a little bit of hints about where things are going and new characters. And yeah, as it continues, it's going to get more like that, but without losing sight of the analytical part of the podcast, which yeah. is obviously just as important. So yeah. it's going to be fun. It's yes. going to be, I'm privy to things that I, I'm excited to see them happen. Yes. And then another part of the, for the season, that's going to be the main episodes. That format's not going to change. It'll be a big main discussion episode, highly structured and then there'll be a mini so that depending on how things shake out may end up just being me or it'll be me talking with one person. It'll be a little bit more of a gab fest like the extended mini sods have been. So awesome. the first couple months of 2021, I'll be finishing up the series that I've been doing on some Toho classics that should wrap up, I think, around March. And then I'm going to veer off into a new series of minisodes that will keep me busy for a while. And this is a series that is coming about due to popular demand, <laughs> among other things. And even though, shall we say, I covered these in a previous podcast life, I have decided that I'm just going to do them again. And I'm calling it Godzilla Redux. Woo woo! Yeah. So I will be going through the Godzilla films from 1954 to Shin Godzilla. And when I say from 54 to Shin Godzilla, I'm including Rodan and Mothra, King of the Monsters 56, Godzilla 1985. All of those are going to be in there. And they're going to get brand new episodes, some brand new analyses. I've got all the research still. And I'm also hoping... Danny, <laughs> that mm -hmm. this will be a warm-up to a book that John LeMay has been telling both you and I to write for, I think, at least a year now, if not a little bit longer. Yeah, this is something that he brought up to both of us separately after our, our G-Fest panel last year. because On um, Sekizawa and Kimura. It was, mm -hmm. On Sekizawa and Kimura, because we took a lot of time to research these guys and Obviously, as writers, we had a lot to say our, ourselves about it. And there's John LeMay in the back of our panel, scribbling furiously, taking notes with smoke coming off his pencil, right? You know, he came up to us each individually later and said, guys, like, there's a book in there that hasn't been written yet. Obviously, it hasn't been written yet. But he, he meant, like, there's a kind of story that hasn't been yeah. done, a kind of approach. Yeah. And he told and, us and that, I, you know, yeah. that, he said, this is not what you guys did is not what I do. But if you wrote this book, I would read it. <laughs> and let yeah. me tell you, hearing that from John LeMay, if that doesn't motivate you to make it happen, I don't know what else can, unless it's, I don't know, Captain Gordon breathing down your neck. <laughs> write that book. Like, that would be great. <laughs> you better John... write that book right now. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Like, John LeMay is such a sweet guy. His work is such a blessing really for this fandom, for this community. His work is, I mean, I could sing John's praises all the time. He's a great dude, A, 
And B, he's very talented. And C, he's doing something unique and wonderful for everyone. And he was really interested in what we were doing. And it's kind of a cool idea because the idea of writing a book, we'd probably self-publish it. We haven't really talked about it a lot. No, but the we idea haven't, of format wise. But... Yeah, format-wise, the idea of having a book that analyzes the scripts and the screenwriting process and maybe analyzes how it's written and talks about the history a little bit, but mostly like analyzes it and breaks it down, is something that hasn't really been done. I mean, that that book doesn't exist. That kind of story doesn't exist. No, the, the and, only thing um, I can think of that comes remotely close is Callet's book. But, oh, man. I mean, but even that Dave isn't Callet exactly what that is it's their academic essays written on every one of these movies but it covers everything which is why dave callett's book is phenomenal that book is my godzilla bible every time i see dave callett's name on an audio commentary i get excited i love that dude he's a big inspiration for me in a lot of ways but um having a book that kind of follows a similar format but it's directly focused on the writing hasn't been done and I don't know about you, Nate, but I am itching to do this. And this Godzilla Redux is going to be a great way for us to get together and to talk about the films. And we're going to talk about more than just the writing, but it's a good excuse to get our ideas out of our heads mm -hmm. and talked about. And then we can take that and refine it further and keep working and then actually get it written out. It'll be a while. It'll be a process. But this is the groundwork for a book for something that that is unique that we can give to the the fan community that doesn't exist. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're both kind of about is being analytical and enlightening and entertaining and doing things that haven't been mm -hmm. done yet for the sake of spreading some positivity, you know, and yes. some, some history, <laughs> just having some fun. So I'm excited to be a part of that. I am super duper pumped. Yeah. Godzilla Redux. Yes. Do it. Godzilla Redux. Do it. Do it now. Do it. That was the worst Schwarzenegger Fire. impersonation I've ever done, but <laughs> but not as bad as this one. You, you all suck so much. Anyway, moving on before this really gets derailed. But the other oh, yeah. news item that I wanted to mention, and all of these actually, just to let everybody know, if you were a patron of the podcast, you would have heard about this about two weeks ago. So just throwing it in there, you want to get early access, not only to episodes, but also to information like this before everyone else. You know where to find us on Patreon. You can get this for as little as $3 a month. And I bring that up because the next big news item is I haven't done it yet, and I'm not 100% sure when it's going to happen. There's some logistical things that I have to put together first, but I am going to add more tiers to the MIFV Patreon. Patrons at these levels will get some very interesting perks. I'm going to add a $25 level, which I am calling the Season Pass Tourist. Now, like I said, I haven't refined all the details yet, but the big thing that you'll get at the $25 level is you get to sponsor an episode and decide what gets covered in that episode. And I will do, at least for now, one Patreon-sponsored episode a quarter. So there will be four a year, depending on how schedules work out for everything else. But ideally once it gets fully implemented, at least once a quarter. And it could be a movie, it could be a, episodes of a TV show. Throw it at me, see what sticks. Although, be warned, I do have a master list of things that are going to be covered in the show. So, see if you can pick something that's not already on the master list. <laughs> and then, another step beyond that will be what I'm calling the Golden Ticket Tourist. Come at me, Willy Wonka. 
for fifty <laughs> for fifty dollars a month. The big perk with that one is going to be not only do you get to pick something to be covered in an episode, you get to be the guest host on that episode. So if you have a favorite kaiju or tokusatsu related thing and you want it covered on the show and you want to come on to, I don't know, school me on it. I'm talking to you, Travis. Give me 50 bucks. You can make me watch Kamen Rider and then come on the episode and tell me how much I don't know about Kamen Rider. (laughs) That is the tier for you. (laughs) And then... Just to be funny, there is one more tier after that, but I have a feeling people will only take on this tier if they are truly hardcore fans or they just want to be funny. But for $100 a month, you get to be Jimmy's intern. Wow. (laughs) And by that, I mean you get to replace Jimmy for the episode that you sponsor. They get to be the producer. They like get to be the producer. They get to be the producer. They get they get to be wow. the producer. They get to interrupt me while I'm talking about the movie or TV show episodes. All of that. Wow. <laughs> Everything Jimmy does, you get to do. <laughs> That's kind of tempting. I'm not going to lie. Now, I, I, I do lie. want to qualify this by saying you'll get other perks along with these, but these are the big selling points for these. <laughs> wow. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, because related to that, I am hoping, and again, I don't have an exact time frame for this yet, but I want to launch a Public store for the show that will have nice. merch for the show. And if you sponsor an episode at $25, $50, or $100, and you only have to do it for one month, you don't have to do it every month. So if you just wanted to do it for one month, you could then drop it back down to you know ten dollars a month if that's what you were at originally. You also get stuff from the T Public store. So the idea being, you sponsor an episode, you come to the island, and you get a coupon to go shopping at the gift shop <laughs> on the island. <laughs> so you get a piece of MIFV merch of your choice. I went to Monster Island, and all I got was this T-shirt. Yeah. Something like that. That needs to be that needs to be a t-shirt. I'll we add it to the list. <laughs> you want to design I, it? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll, I'll get right on that. No, I'm serious. I'll do it. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, then. I'll, do it. I'll add you to the growing yeah. army of artists that I have at this point. <laughs> now, I hope you don't expect high quality because that's, <laughs> I said I designed it. I didn't say I'd do a good job. <laughs> I see how this now, works. I, I could take a crack at it. I'd be fine with that. That'd be, I mean, I visited the Monster Island Film Vault and all I got was this t-shirt. Like, that would, that would be funny. You, you, I don't know. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta get it right. All I got was this lousy t-shirt. Well, <laughs> so, I didn't, didn't want to be mean, you know. And, well, I, I mean, that could at least justify the low quality of whatever work you're producing. I mean, <laughs> first of all, rude. Second of all, <laughs> a- accurate. hey i'm only agreeing with you and i got two of those for this recording alone so maybe i I should try going for uh, maybe i should try going for three so i can have a a nice little trio there (laughs) yeah it's like uh, shakespeare if it's important hit it hit the audience with it three times yes (laughs) so 
all depends on your rudeness at the end of the day. <laughs> well, next time you're on, you may be throwing that at Jimmy. Who knows? I mean, Who Jimmy knows? has it's apparently fun. earned a little bit of a reputation. I mean, <laughs> I have heard, uh, I've heard some of the ways people yeah. have described him that I cannot utter on a family show. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. That's poor Jimmy. I know he deserves it, but <laughs> all right. And then oh, lastly, before we close up shop here on what may end up being a very long bonus episode, <laughs> yeah. the, I do want to let everybody know next week. No, not next week. Two weeks from the release of this episode will be Diamagene Strikes Again. And I'm getting the title correct this time. I've realized for two episodes, I said it wrong. <laughs> Jimmy is tearing me to shreds in his blogs over this. <laughs> it's Dime Machine Strikes again, not Dime Machine Strikes Back. The Metters will be coming back for that episode, and I'm guessing their dogs as well, which, as usual, will be interesting. That will be the end of the Dimagen days, and who oh boy, there's going to be some fun to be had if I pull off what I want to do. There will be some fun to be had. Make sure you listen through that whole episode. Okay, you know, once, Marvel once again, style stinger. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then I'm privy. I know. Yes. I'm not going to say anything. Yes, but I know. Yes, and then the the next episode in October, very appropriately, will be Frankenstein Conquers the World, where I will be joined by Travis Alexander of Kaiju Weekly hashtag Justice for Baragon. <laughs> <laughs> The, I, it was the perfect episode to have him on for the first time. And oh, yeah. I have some really fun plans for that one as well. There's going to be some surprises in store. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really, really fun, I think. And then we'll be closing out the year with some more mini-sodes or extended mini-sodes because we got no Godzilla versus Kong coming this year, unfortunately. Mucked up my podcast schedule several times. Wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah, but there's some good content coming. Right, actually, it's not just minisodes. There will be one more after October. There will be one more regular episode, which will be on Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. So, getting some Harryhausen up in here. <laughs> you can never have too much Harryhausen. Yeah. Never, yeah. never. So more Harryhausen. So, like I said, listeners, you've got a lot to look forward to. Not only the the rest of 2020. But you have a whole year of Gamera and then some bonus Godzilla goodness coming your way in 2021. And I can't wait to get to all of that. It's going to be exciting. That was your cue to say something if you wanted to. (laughs) It sure will, Nate. (laughs) That didn't sound artificial (laughs) at all. All kidding aside, I know what's coming down the pike, and I am really excited for people to check it out. Uh, lots of great films to discuss. I'm really excited about Gamera. I'm really excited about this Godzilla Redux thing and it leading into a, a book project because, I mean, I you know, writing is kind of our thing. Yep. And uh, I'm super excited for people to keep getting invested into the meta story. Because the meta story, like you said, will never take over, but it's going to keep getting more. And I think it's going to just get better and more entertaining as it goes along. So if it's been entertaining already, which it has, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, no, you haven't. (laughs) No, there's going to be some super wacky, super fun stuff. Lots of deep cuts, lots of original stuff. 
I, I feel really lucky that I know a lot, like a lot of the stuff that's planned so far. And all I can say is get excited. I really want to think that <laughs> Sekizawa is smiling on me right now because I'm really tapping oh. into my inner Sekizawa with this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm taking his words and putting them into book form right now. So if, I, I hope there's some smiles wherever he might be out there in the ether. I hope he's not too upset at me. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no, I, you and I both do what we do a, because we love it and B because we respect it. So I feel like wherever he might be, all the people that have inspired us to do this kind of stuff, I'd like to think that they're appreciative that people, especially on the other side of the planet from where they worked on this stuff, are appreciative. That's what I like to think. I do as well. Well, anyway, I think it's a good time to close up shop. It's getting perilously late (laughs) here in the Eastern time zone in the Midwest. And I think we could both... I mean, Ohio and Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a little confusing. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's close up shop here. You know, normally I would tell Jimmy to cue the credits, but uh, at this point, it's my job. So <laughs> here we go. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nathan Marchand. If you enjoy the show and want to join the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Your message could be read on a future episode of the show. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is themonsterisla1. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy. I have fulfilled my contractual obligations. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wander on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Open Way, Battle with the Colossus by Kowatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus can be downloaded from ocremix.org. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and other fine podcasters. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to spread the word about the show. You can also support MIFV on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! Sayonara!